Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is the season three premiere. Honestly, there were times in the last 10, 11 months, I didn't know if we would be saying that, but we are here. We're excited. The season is coming up. I'm Gray Robertson, my partner, Tom Canterbury, on the other side of the Zoom, because that is how we are recording podcasts right now. Tom, hello. Hello. Pumped? Oh, could not be more ecstatic. So very excited for this premiere, excited for the 2021 softball season. Just generally excited. <laughs> Just very happy. <laughs> It's really kind of amazing. Like I said, there were there were dark times in the last 10 to 11 months where we thought this sport wasn't going to happen. The media didn't know if anything was going to happen, period. You know, we got the news as we record today that we can go to Austin and be on site for opening weekend for Alabama softball, which I don't know about you, has made me extremely happy today. I'm so excited that I'm okay with a 10 and a half hour drive at this point. <laughs> me too. So, we'll hit yeah. a couple buckies. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So 14-hour drive, assuming a couple of Bucky stops. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we're glad you're here. It's a season three premiere. You can follow us on Twitter at OutOfTheBox underscore pod. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, leave a review. We did media days, Tom. I don't know if you yes. forgot. I assume you didn't because it was awesome. So if uh, any of those listeners out there haven't heard that, I suggest you go back in the archives on whatever platform you're using and listen to our conversation with, and I want to put some emphasis on this, Every single SEC softball head coach. All 13. They were all here. If Vanderbilt had a coach, we would have had him on too. But unfortunately, they don't. But yeah, we had everybody on. Uh, everybody was great. I think we got really good insight from everybody. People were really open, they, more than I thought they were going to be. So I think it, it would. it's a really good tool if you're uh, interested in just one team or if you're just interested in the way that you know the, the SEC is going to lay out here this season. Uh, I highly recommend it, even considering that, you know, we're a little biased because we did it. But, I, you know, I, I, I think people will like it. Yeah, and we're going to do a, a breakdown of the SEC in just a little bit. That's coming up. Let, let's get to what's going to happen. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's been so long. It's time to hear your trip around the bases. We will start at the plate and break down Alabama ahead of 2021. Look at the roster. Look at the schedule. Look at how things might break down in opening weekend against Arizona, Texas, and Colorado State. Then we will advance to first, break down the SEC, go over the preseason All-SEC team, which uh, had a big snub that we'll talk about. Look at the coaches poll, talk about a couple other things, including the NCAA tournament, waiving record requirements, and a new segment also that we will have in the advancing to first portion of the show. Then we will steal second. We will be stealing second with the great Amanda Scarborough back again, yeah. just like in March of 2020. It pick up right where we left off. Did, nothing you know, has changed. Nothing has changed. Nothing's happened in the last 11 months. Then we round third with Emily P-Tech, as we usually do in the premieres, for P-Tech's point of view with Emily P-Tech Clifford. Stuff's happened with Emily, too, in the last 11 months, so yeah. <laughs> Finally, we will head home, Tom. We've got landmine or gold mines. We've got SEC preseason rankings. We will go one through 13. Uh, if there's an off the wall, you want to get off your chest, we can cover that. We'll talk about the plan and uh, then we'll sign off. It's a, it's a big episode. It is a big episode. It's amazing how, yes, we will have some off the wall. And they won't all necessarily be concerning softball, uh, but I think it's something that, that needs to be said. Always good. 
All right, let's take a look at Alabama in 2021. This is a team that was 14 and eight in 2020, two and one in the SEC. Three departures, MG Anderson, Carla Heiss, and then the big one that we talked about a little bit at the beginning of media days, Skylar Wallace leaving for Florida. As shocking as that was, I feel like the team has responded well. We're going to get into some possible lineups in a bit. I, I think that of all the people who could have left or, or maybe of all the people to eliminate off the roster, I think losing Skylar is big in certain areas, but I don't think it impacts the defense as much as, uh, as some people think, but I mean, still, obviously, uh, you had someone who we thought was going to be an All-American now on a Rivals roster. Yeah, it's amazing when you say that with Alabama's depth, with the freshmen coming in, that I think Alabama's going to be just fine without Skylar Wallace, a, a player that at one point, because something we talk about sometimes in, during our broadcasts is who's going to end up on the outfield wall and when, when the next renovations happen, who on the current team is going to end up being on the wall out there. And I know we've mentioned Skylar Wallace as one of those players who had an opportunity to be there. The biggest shock, not just that she left, but that she ended up going to Florida. Looks like, uh, according to what Tim Walton has said, that she will probably not be eligible to play this season because of the timing of the, uh, of the actual transfer. So won't get to see her when Florida comes to Tuscaloosa twice for, for when they come for the regular season and in the SEC tournament. But as we said, when, when this happened, we wished her the best, but I think Alabama is going to be just fine. Yeah, I think so too. And let's get into why, as usual, we'll break this down by class. Let's look at the seniors, the super seniors. You've got <laughs> yes. Alexis Mack, Alyssa Brown, Taylor Clark, Bailey Hemphill, Sarah Cornell, Claire Jenkins, Crystal Goodman. Now, three of those players were dealing with injuries in 2020. Alyssa Brown didn't play after opening weekend. Claire Jenkins didn't play at all. And Bailey Hemphill, she had that hand finger issue that uh, happened in Clearwater and never really looked the same until the season shut down. So I'm really interested, Tom, in seeing how the injured play and if they can pick up right where they left off when they were fully healthy. And uh, that may be one, you know, we look for the silver linings of uh, everything that's happened in the last year, the opportunity for some players to get healthy because and some, sometimes people have injuries that the only thing that's going to help it is rest and not playing, but you don't, you're obviously not going to not want to play during the season. So, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for everyone to get as healthy as they've maybe ever been. Now you will have to probably knock some competitive rust off once the season gets going. But uh, I think a lot of these players have a great opportunity. Now it's amazing when you read through those super seniors, Alabama could almost field a starting nine with the super seniors that are coming back this year. And I think that nine would probably finish in the top half of the, of the sec. So, uh, you know, you have that combined with all the other players that are on the team, Alabama looks pretty stacked. And of course we get to see Alexis never gets out Mac back on right. the roster, back out in left field. That'll be fun. Someone who will literally count down the days that when, when she gets to play again, and now is having to do that again, throughout this entire time you know she's going to be ready to go uh, when this season gets started this weekend so that's the senior class let's look at the juniors only three listed on the roster maddie morgan kb sides kaylee tau morgan was a revelation last year she was an rbi machine hitting 350 she drove in 20 runs and 14 hits which is absurd and then you look at kb sides who's hitting 483 the only question mark among this group is tau but we've seen her enough to know that the question marks that came from her performance at the tail end of last season should probably be erased pretty quickly in 2021. 
Yeah, she was also dealing with injuries as well. You hope that she has gotten completely healthy and kind of figured out where she's going to be, where she's going to be in the field, where she's going to be in the lineup, All-American talent. So hopefully she will be able to do that. Amazing to run down those stats from both Maddie Morgan. KB Sides was on the way to an All-American campaign last season. I think we'll pick right back up where she left off there too. It's going to be very interesting to see how Patrick Murphy is going to be able to put together a lineup with with all these different pieces of the puzzle that can all be so effective should be fun kb sides was just so good last year and, and especially yeah. as the uh, as the season wound down the arkansas series i mean she basically couldn't stay off base and yeah. I, i'm really excited to see what she does in in the opening weekend we've talked about her you know her entire career here at alabama that she is a five-tool player uh, and really kind of found herself i think last season hopefully she will continue that going here this year Sophomores, the redshirt sophomore, Kyra Lockhart, Kayla Davis, back from injury from what we understand, so that's always good. And Montana Fouts, incredible as a freshman, sophomore year. You know, things were just off. I said this on the In the Circle preview last weekend, and, you know, she was off on her routine, getting ready for the year. She, you know, she was sick that one weekend when yeah. Arizona came to town. There was just, there was just never any rhythm for Montana Fouts. And, and from what Patrick Murphy has said so far, it sounds like old Montana is back and maybe better. <laughs> yes. I mean, because I remember, you know, 2019, her freshman campaign, it didn't happen very often, but when she had a bad inning or, you know, somebody had a home run offer or something, she took it personally. And, you know, it came and it, it fired her up even more. So she came back and, and was more dominant the next time out. We didn't see that as much in 2020 because, like you said, things were just a little bit off. Injuries might have been a factor there as well. Yeah, if she is 100% healthy and is as focused in and as dialed in as we have heard that she is, it's going to be very scary to face her at least probably twice a weekend. That being said, Alabama has such a pitching depth and such a, I mean, such a rotation when she does get in, it's going to be because everybody's different within this lineup, within this rotation, that she's just going to bring something that not many other people, not just on the team, but in this conference or in this nation will be able to bring. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about the rotation in just a minute, but uh, I'm very excited for it, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. I I am too. I mean, hello. (laughs) We said that they were ahead of schedule. Uh, The schedule was absolutely obliterated in 2020, just in general. And so now we're, we're back on to where things should be in 2021. Right on target. You know, the only thing I remember from 2020 is we beat Washington. That was Mm -hmm. fun. Else other than that, you know, stuff happens. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the (laughs) freshman class. This is the biggest freshman class Patrick Murphy's ever had just based on labels because of how things are. Some are labeled as freshmen, even though they played last year, I guess, essentially getting a practice run in college softball. But here are the nine, Abby Dorr, Bailey Dowling, Jenna Johnson, Jayla Torrance, KJ Haney, Savannah Woodard, Alex Salter, Cat Grill, Lexi Kilfoyle. A lot of names pop out on there. I see Abby Dorr. I'm really excited to see what she did in the 10, 11 months off to get ready to catch in the SEC consistently. I think Jenna Johnson, we're going to go over lineups in a minute. I don't have a spot for her. And I think because of that, she's going to be the most dangerous pinch hitter in America. You've got two pitchers in Salter and Torrance. Lexi Kilfoyle, of course, and also Bailey Dowling, the number two recruit in the country, plus some other really talented freshmen, and Savannah Woodard, who started pretty much all last year. Yeah, that's that's one I'm very interested to see where Savannah Woodard ends up in this whole situation because she's one that, you know, is kind of the odd person out 
when you look at all, all these people coming in and how things go, but she got a lot of experience last year and may have a chip on her shoulder because of it. So I'd like to see we'll, where she will end up in this whole situation. Another silver lining of this whole situation of everybody having an extra year. We didn't know that we were going to see a lineup that had both Bailey Dowling and Bailey Hempel in it, but we're going to be able to see that this year. Good luck. If you're pitching against that, we are so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> and Lexi Kilfoyle gets it. You know, she showed flashes of brilliance uh, last season. Again, I mentioned the Washington game, but you know, there were other times where you could, you, you could tell she was a freshman. Now we have this opportunity. She's got this extra time. If you had to make a ro- uh, rotation right now, I would assume she would be the second starter behind Montana Fouts. So I think she will get a shot here against either Texas or Arizona this weekend. So we're going to see how Lexi Kilfoyle has come along. And if she if she finds herself and her capabilities, uh, it's going to be a heck of a one-two punch. And my goodness, there are a lot of other pitchers on this roster too. It's going to be hard to score runs on Alabama. It's going to be hard for Alabama not to score a lot of runs. All right, Tom, you ready to talk lineups? Not that, you know, our guess will be accurate because we've no. been wrong forever <laughs> uh-huh. when it comes to what Patrick Murphy's going to decide. Do you have anything? Do you want me to go first? What do you think? Uh, you go ahead. Uh, I, I will I will bounce off of you. Okay. Here's what I've got right now. I've got Dorit Ketcher, Hempill at first, Dowling at second, Jenkins at short, Morgan at third, and then an outfield from left to right of Mac. Brown and sides with Tao at DP and you can trade Tao in and out. If you want to give Woodard and, and Johnson some extra, extra time, maybe in the Colorado state games this weekend or next weekend against Gardner Webb. But I think that that lineup looks pretty good all the way around, both batting and defensively. I'm hundred percent in agreement with you on what the, uh, the defensive uh, arrangement can be. Say so you'd love to find an opportunity to get Jenna Johnson in it, but it's, it's so hard because I mean, who are you going to take out? So I, I like that. You have the opportunity as well. You know, if Kaylee Tao has the injuries under control, she could play first base and give Bailey some extra time. Or if Bailey needs to catch, uh, Dork gets, gets some time off. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Alabama to move some pieces around. Uh, but I think if you're looking for your absolute best nine, I think that's it. What do you think about batting-wise? Who would you like to see maybe, maybe in the top four? I think a lot of it depends on how much confidence you have in Bailey Dow- Dowling right off the bat. She could hit anywhere between two and six. and But that's that's the thing. A lot of Alabama players are like that. K- KB Sides is the same way. She could actually lead off if you needed her to. But and also, do you want to do the one-two at the top of Mack and Brown, or do you want Brown to be in the nine hole with Mack leading off? That's uh, that's where I am right now. I have yeah. Mack leading off and Brown in the nine spot with, with Sides right behind Mack and then Hemphill Dowling. That's a good spot. I could see maybe to start things off until, you, until you're sure what you have with Bailey Dowling once you get into competition, maybe have Tao at three with Hemphill at, at four and Dowling at five, or you could even have Hemphill at three. I, I think it just depends on what your matchup is against a particular pitcher who's hitting well at a particular time, but you have so many different players that can fit in at different parts in the lineup. There's nobody that is set, set in outside of maybe Alexis Mack as your, as your leadoff that really wouldn't work anywhere else in the lineup. All right, pitching staff. You've got six. You've got a an SEC pitcher of the year in Sarah Cornell, an SEC freshman of the year in Montana Fouts, a, a pitcher who basically shut down an SEC offense 
uh, in two games in her one SEC series. You've got Crystal Goodman, who we would both argue should have been all SEC in 2019, and then two highly rated freshmen in Jayla Torrance and Alex Salter. A lot that Patrick Murphy can do with that. <laughs> yeah. The only thing is, you know, it doesn't have a lefty, but even, even saying that, you have a lot of pitchers that do so many different things. So you'll be able to mix and match as far as that goes, if not necessarily left, right to do it based on if somebody does really well against speed, you got plenty of drop ball pitchers that are available to come in. You got a lot of change of pace type pitchers that can do that. It'll be interesting to see we asked, I asked coach Murphy about this in the opening zoom meeting that we had uh, when practice started, if, if he's interested in having somebody find a particular role, or is it just going to be, you know, a, a case by case basis. And he seemed to be more, inclined to go by the case by case until maybe we'll see how things shape up. But if Alabama wants to find somebody that is a closer all the time, there's that available to you. There's, there's a lot of different things you can go. But as I said, I think you'll see Lexi Kilfoyle and, you know, Alabama has the first week, the first day, Colorado state and Texas. I think, you know, that first game against Colorado state, um, that could be a Sarah Cornell or a crystal Goodman game. But then the second game you'll have Montana against Texas and then maybe day two, you do Lexi against Texas and, and Montana against Arizona, uh, just because Arizona just doesn't want to see Montana Fouts ever <laughs> again, and they're going to. So that'll be fun. And then, you know, give another opportunity for Sarah or somebody to start against uh, Colorado State, or maybe that's when you give Torrance an opportunity here. Uh, so there, there's going to be a lot of chances, I think, for Alabama to see what they have in this first weekend. And then, you know, once you get off of the Texas Classic, things kind of slow down a little bit for you in the non-conference before you get into conference play. So there'll be more opportunities then as well, but you want to see what you have against the best competition. Learning opportunity for Alabama, learning opportunity for us, because I don't know if we've said it outright, but with the current situation, we can't go to practice. There was no fall ball to watch. I know bio information about Jayla Torrance and Alex Salter. I got a little bit of information from the new volunteer assistant, Morgan Lashley. I'm hoping to get a little more this week before the games, but I have no idea what the two freshmen look like in the circle. And I'm really excited to see them. I hope they get a chance this weekend. Christmas morning is what what I'm saying. Uh, We're going to see, I think Alabama has a lot of good stuff under the tree and we'll get to see it the first time with everybody else. All right, let's take a look at the schedule before we go ahead and move on in the show and advance to first opening weekend, the Texas classic, you've got two games against Texas, a game against Arizona, two games against Colorado state. Uh, We'll get to the Rams in a little bit, Arizona. I I can't remember a time these two haven't played in the last three years where it hasn't been a classic. So I'm really excited about that one. And then Texas twice, this looked like a really tough matchup for Alabama and then Miranda Ellis opted out. And now while it is by no means easy, I think it is much more manageable for Alabama to maybe go four and one, possibly five and zero opening weekend. I think that's uh, certainly a possibility, but I think at this point, uh, the way I'm going to be looking at things, I'm just taking, I'm not even really, I know we have to do predictions on the, on the show, but I'm not really looking at what Alabama is going to do result wise, just me, but it seemed like maybe that was an issue all year long last year with the tough start that Alabama had as the number one overall preseason ranked team worried about how how you're going to do on the weekend just worry about how you're going to do against Colorado State and worry about how you're going to do against Texas I take it game by game but that being said I, I agree I think Alabama has a great shot to get a positive result this weekend Texas is you know it's at Texas 
Ellis or not, I think they're going to be a heck of a team. I think they are a legitimate top 10 team, even without Ellis. So it's going to be a tough matchup. And then, as you said, Arizona is always, uh, always, always a classic when they play, but historically they've never pitched, never done well against Montana Fouts in the circle. So I think with Montana going on Saturday, uh, I like Alabama's chances. All right, just like we did last year, Tom, pick one non-conference matchup and one conference series that you've really got your eye on this year. Well, outside of this this coming weekend for the non-conference, I think you got to point to the uh, the LSU game. Uh, you got one game against the Tigers. Alabama doesn't play LSU in the regular season uh, in conference, so they're going to come into one of the non-conference tournaments that Alabama is going to host. So uh, an interesting place where you can really kind of measure yourself see where the both teams I think are going to be kind of bringing out their measuring sticks on that one and see where they are uh, considering you don't play each other in the regular season so that's going to be interesting there's so many really great uh, conference series but one of the last ones and I think one of the more teams not as much as Kentucky usually is but an enigma coming into this year is Georgia so I'd like to see how Alabama will play in Athens against the Bulldogs. It wasn't that much fun. Last time Alabama went to Athens, got the, got the one big win, but it was tough when Alabama last played at Georgia. Bulldogs will be remembering the sweep that Alabama had in Tuscaloosa a couple of years ago. Uh, so this is going to be, I think that's going to be a tough way to uh, kind of wrap up the season as far as uh, being out on the road will be for Alabama. That feels trappy, trappy, trappy. Tom, we think that Alabama most likely will at least at the very least be in position to win the conference or make a charge around that time. And to go to Athens right around the end of the year, right after Florida, which is right after Louisiana, my non-conference series to watch. Oh boy. That's the one you circle and highlight and put the, uh, the sirens around. I've got Louisiana. We're going to talk to Amanda Scarborough more later on about the the Cajuns. So that's all I'm really going to say about that. You know, I'm really interested in this team. I don't want to use the word expectations in case Patrick Murphy listens, but I think that what I expected from Alabama in 2020 just kind of carries over to 2021, right? I mean, am I crazy to say that? No, I I think you can certainly have those expectations. And I think that I'm actually just fine with the national polls not having Alabama at number one. Uh, Sometimes you, you just do a little bit better uh, when you're more of a hunter than a hunted situation and everyone's going to be talking about UCLA and as well, they should, they're, they're going to be maybe historically great, but um, I, I'm fine with Alabama being as much as Alabama can be a little bit under the radar. And I think that'll help. How about we get to the rest of the sec? What do you think? Okay. <laughs> Let's give all the other fans listening a chance to hear us talk about their team. <laughs> Hopefully we picked up some during the uh, sec media days. So we appreciate you listening. I think so. We're going to break down the SEC, talk about the preseason all-conference team, some snubs, and then go team by team and discuss everybody in the Southeastern Conference as we advance to first. Tom, who are we? Oh, well, uh, we never get out, so we're Alexis Mack. That's right. We're Alexis Mack, slapping and then all of a sudden squaring up and nailing a triple to the wall. (laughs) It's time to advance to first here on the Out of the Box Podcast when we come back in SEC season preview here on the season three premiere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the podcast. It's time to advance the first and talk about the SEC. Tom Canterbury across from me on the computer. I'm Gray Robertson. It's the season three premiere. Tom, who knows what this league is going to be? <laughs> oh my gosh, I have no idea. This is going to be as wide open of a season as as we've had um, in the conference, maybe nationally as well, but certainly in this SEC. It might be a little bit top heavy as far as who can win the conference, but I don't think there's any team that you're going to be able to roll out the the helmets and and the batting gloves and everything and just assume you're going to get a sweep. That's for sure. We're going to talk about the coaches poll and what that looked like and go team by team and discuss the SEC. But first, let's talk about the preseason all SEC team. All right. Now, if you uh-huh. want to look at the full yeah. list, go check it out. SECsports.com. It's all there. I don't want to take time and read the whole thing, but I did put together a list of some snubs that were uh, that were not included on the list. Lexi Kilfoyle, Alabama, not included. Samantha Yarbrough, Auburn, not included. Mary Wilson Avant, Georgia, not on there. Brooke Wilmus, Missouri, no dice. Kinsey McGuire, South Carolina, thought she might slip in, give the Gamecocks somebody. No Allie Shipman, that's your girl for Tennessee, not on here. <laughs> and uh, Mackenzie Herzog for AM, not listed. Also, Tom, Bailey Hempill? What? You can kind of make the case for all those others of, well, you know, certain people could slip in ahead. But dare I say it, Bailey Hempill not being preseason all SEC downright farcical your first farcical of 2021 coming right here ridiculous well used partner thank you i I mean she was what we had her as player of the year coming into last year and and to be fair she didn't quite back it up she was dealing with some injuries but you know she still wasn't great the first two weekends when she was healthy but i mean to to completely snub her like I, i don't understand how you could argue the best player in this league certainly the scariest is not on this list especially especially coming back as now a fifth year senior if nothing else you should get benefit of the doubt just for that to have that opportunity and it's just it 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 makes zero sense as i said downright farcical Mm -hmm. that she is not on this on this list and if that means bailey hempill is a little unhappy starting off this season and might have something to prove i'm okay with it i have already reserved the right to tweet the Michael Jordan and I took that personally meme after opening weekend. <laughs> Absolutely. So Bailey, I, let me use it, please. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tom, let's uh, let's break down all these schools. The SEC coaches poll is out. Alabama, number one. They got nine of the first place votes. LSU, two. Florida, three. Tennessee, four. Kentucky, five. Arkansas, six. Georgia, seven. Missouri, eight. South Carolina, nine. Mississippi State, 10. Auburn, 11. Texas A&M, 12. And Ole Miss, 13. Before we dive into these schools and what they'll look like in 2021, this list, which is voted on by the coaches, or at least, you know, clicked on by SIDs with the coach right there, very different from all of the media polls that we have seen. Why? I, I don't know. And that's that's one of my questions as well. And that's one thing I wanted to kind of get into here is, why is there such a disconnect 
from the national media, the people that might be voting in committees, things of that nature, and the people that are you know, in the trenches that are you know, day in, day out watching what's going on. And why does a school like Alabama not get the benefit of the doubt considering the historical success that the Crimson Tide has had? Because you look at what's going on in this coaching poll, in the coaches poll, Alabama is a clear favorite in the conference. Nine first place votes. They are, you know, pretty almost, it's not unanimous, but it's pretty close. Alabama is a clear favorite in this conference, according to the people that are there every day and are watching. But you take a look at the national polls that are coming out. Alabama is third, if not fourth, in the SEC when those get ranked. Obviously, the origin of Farcical coming in 2019, Alabama wins the conference by four games and is the eight-seeded team when Florida, who Alabama swept in the regular season and lost one game in a conference tournament, is fifth seed. There's just been so many different examples of it, and I just want to know where is the disconnect and why is there a disconnect between the people that are voting in the national polls and why a team like Alabama doesn't get the benefit of the doubt, and, and where is that coming from? And I'm going to add more to that because it's not just Alabama. In the coaches' poll, Tennessee is fourth. Here is the spot at, you know, with all the SEC teams compiled where Tennessee is ranked in essentially every other poll. Ninth, tenth, tenth, and then also seventh. So yeah, that doesn't make any sense. What do the coaches know? Mississippi State, they're tenth in the coaches' poll. Every other media poll has them higher. So I'm just very intrigued at how different everything looks just across the board. I mean, and this isn't just softball. I remember a couple of years ago, LSU soccer was projected like 11th in the SEC and they were 24th nationally. It, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It seems as though there are these, and I understand you have beat writers that you know don't have the access in a sport like soccer or softball that you would have, say, in football. You don't have multitudes of preseason magazines. You don't have the the recruiting coverage that you have for football and basketball for some of these other sports. So maybe I can understand there being some misses as things go along that way. But it seems so difficult for teams that are not a perennial power to get any preseason recognition at all and it seems so hard for them to actually break it in the top 25 once they are deserving of it. It seems like if they're, they're deserving of it, and then three or four weeks later, maybe they'll, they'll sneak their way in. And then it also seems like a per, many perennial powers do get the benefit of the doubt and are ranked highly, but it's, it's like there's a, a pecking order within the perennial powers, not based on what the actual rosters are of that year, but just based on who we usually vote for number one. Mm-hmm. And not that this, that's the case this year, but say Oklahoma just had a Kentucky-like basketball season like this year. How long would it take for Oklahoma to fall, not out of the top 25, out of the top 15, out of the top 10, if they I had mean, that type of a season? Now, in, in the long run, do, do who's in the top 25, does that really matter? No, not really. But... I, I think, well, what we know about committees, I, I think they probably look at it more than they should. So it, it might matter a little bit more. Anything else you want to add before we dive into the SEC? 
I think that's I think that's about it. It's, and this would be one of those things I'd love to hear from the listeners if if they have a reason why 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 is there this disconnect? Why is there such a difference with what one what the national media is seeing as opposed to what people that are in the trenches see every day? Mm-hmm. I like that. Good thought, Tom. Let's break down the SEC. We just gave the preseason coaches poll a moment ago. Alabama's number one. We already did that. So let's move on. Number two, LSU, two first place votes. This is a team that brings back all of the pitchers. Yes. <laughs> and that would be a, a pitching staff four deep of Wickersham, Kilponen, Gorsuch, Sinceri. You've got Aaliyah Andrews back again. Georgia Clark was off to a great start. Taylor Pleasance, I, I think, would have at, certainly been in the running, might have won SEC Freshman of the Year last year. I mean, I get it. I get why LSU is getting all this hype, but as we always talk about, can they sustain a high level of play in conference? That's where it all comes down to. And uh, we didn't get to see how that was going to finish last year, but they have another opportunity now. We'll see how they're able to finish off things in the conference. I, I have no doubt they're going to have a, an excellent February, uh, probably really good March. How's their April going to look? How's, how's the end of May? Or is the beginning of May going to look for them? Where are they going to be at when they come to Tuscaloosa for the SEC tournament? That's where where it all comes down to for the Tigers. I think they have all the talent to be in that to have that chance to be a top eight seed, to be a, a conference contender. We'll have to see how the, how they're able to do it. And a really interesting non-conference slate for LSU. You've got Duke in opening weekend tournament in Baton Rouge, Liberty twice in Tuscaloosa. Liberty's got talent. They can make that interesting. They beat Michigan last year. Of course, the game against Alabama, two games at home against Oklahoma State, home and home with Louisiana, a three-game stretch against Texas, and then three games at NC State, who has been kind of mentioned as an ACC dark horse to uh, to get back in the tournament. So, I mean, they're challenging themselves alongside a really tough SEC schedule. Yeah, and if they're able to uh, to navigate that non-conference, I didn't realize it was that difficult. They, they have a lot of really good teams in that non-conference schedule. They're able to navigate that. Even if they do have a week or two that is that is a struggle in the conference and they don't win a conference, they still have an opportunity to be a top eight seed. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, so th- I think that's one way you can look at it when you schedule like that. You give yourself a little bit more margin of error once you get into the conference. Let's go to Florida. One first place vote, third in the SEC coaches poll. They don't really lose any pitchers. Farley is gone. A lot of the big losses, though, are defensively and at the plate. Jake Carraway gone. Sophia Reynoso, best shortstop in the league. I think we both yeah. agree on that. She's gone. Yeah. Jordan Roberts is gone. They add Skylar Wallace. As of right now, she's not playing. We'll see. Maybe that changes midway through. Who knows? Who knows? This is also a Florida <laughs> team that has a pretty light non-conference slate at South Florida. Four t- well, actually, they play South Florida four times, three away and one at home. Twice against Louisville, a home and home with Florida State and a home and home with UCF. I mean, we know Florida's going to be good. I do expect them to be in that top three, and I think that Alabama, LSU, and Florida will separate themselves at some point during this year. But – as good as Eccles and Lindemann are, I'm still not 100% sold on the pitching staff of Trilicek, Lugo, Chronister, and Hightower. That is really the only question mark because even losing Reynoso, I think they're able to kind of make up for it for the most part, and both on you know defensively and in the lineup. So they're going to be okay there. You and I were both kind of all in on Florida being mediocre last year, and then they were – you know, off to a great start. So yeah, I, I will probably not be on the Florida going to be mediocre, great bandwagon again this year. 
I agree. I think they're one of the top teams in this conference. Um, huge series in Tuscaloosa midway through the conference slate this year. Does Florida play LSU? Do they play each other? They do, and it's in Gainesville. That's helpful. Yeah, I, I will say the thing about Florida, their road trips are not easy. At Mississippi State, remember last year, or rather 2019, where Florida lost two out of three at home to the Bulldogs? Very much so, which is one of the reasons why it was so farcical that they were the five seed. Yeah, and then, well, thank you for slipping that in. Then they go to Georgia, they go to Alabama, they go to Missouri. Probably, if you put odds on it, favored in three of those four road series, but I wouldn't say any of those are, are, you know, locks to win. No, you could easily lose two of those series. I still think Florida's really good, but uh, of the three, they're the team that I have the most questions about. Well, it could be a situation like 2019 where, they do have some struggles within the conference, but can go on that run like they did in the SEC tournament. Yeah, you know, they're, they're very capable of winning the conference tournament, if not winning the conference uh, regular season. To number four, Tennessee. They got a first place vote. They bring back Ashley Rogers, who was out with the injury last year. Callie Turner has ace experience now. Allie Shipman's back. Chelsea Seger and Amanda Ayala. Jenna Holcomb's gone. So is Kaylee Phillips. They both left the program, but. I mean, otherwise, this is a Tennessee team that looks the same as last year, but they've got a healthy Rodgers. And now that they've got Turner with some innings when when all the pressure was on her, I like this Tennessee team a lot more this year than I did last year. Yeah, and that's one thing that we when we talked to the weeklies in the in the SEC media days, they didn't like to talk too much about the 2020 season, but they did talk about her getting those extra reps as, you know, in in big time, you know, when you're number two gets the number one reps for a long time within the within the season that can only help you when you get your number one back healthy so that could be a a silver lining for them uh shipman is, is huge getting back her as well so i don't think i'm as high on tennessee as you are overall but they're they're going to be a, a team that's going to be scary to number five the enigmas the fighting enigmas led by rachel lawson kentucky they lose their two best bats i mean there's really no other way to put it uh bailey vick gone alex martins gone she was at the time, front runner to win SEC Player of the Year. They bring back six people who pitched, <laughs> and yeah. in particular, Autumn Humes and Grace Ballman. I think this is a little too high for a team that lost its two best players. And I know every year, last year, I had Kentucky pretty high in my standings, and I said, you know, I have this because I think Ballman and Humes are going to make a jump. At some point, they just have to do it, and I have to stop anticipating it. So. I don't know. I can't be super high on Kentucky yet until I see it, which of course is what we say every year. Right. Yeah. So pretty much as, as so much as everything has changed, all things are remaining the same as far as Kentucky goes. Uh, one thing that's really interesting. If you haven't had a chance, uh, listen to an interview with Rachel Lawson in the SC media days. when we talk about the fact that they use so many different players that both hit and pitch and, and how, how that's used as part of her philosophy in coaching. I thought it was very interesting her answers there, but uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's, you know, Bauman and Humes, if they're able to, uh, to make that jump, uh, Kentucky's going to, you know, could make that jump into the top of the conference. If they're pretty much as they are, or if they fall off any, uh, they could be middle to bottom. So it, it kind of all, all runs with them because they're going to have to pitch well until they find the bats. Yeah. We'll see if that, uh, that can come through another SEC team. That's not really challenging themselves in non-conference play and could they feel the pressure from number six 
That's Arkansas, Tom. This is a team that a lot of people are buying into. They've got halfback healthy from what we understand, according to Coach yeah. Stifel. <laughs> They've got Autumn Storms back. Jenna Bloom looked, I think, raw but talented as a freshman in 2020. McEwen, Burnside, Green, all there offensively. I mean, look out. The Hogs could be back hosting again. I feel like I'm two-faced from Batman whenever I'm thinking about Arkansas because I'm like, well, on the one hand, they have all this. But on the other hand, I don't know. <laughs> so we can go back and forth because there's sometimes I'm just not impressed with Arkansas at all. And the other times thinking, well, they could actually be one of the top teams in this conference. So they're a little bit uh, enigmatic as well. But I think they have a lot of pieces in place. A lot of it will have to do is how healthy uh, half, Mary Half is. Is she going to be a legitimate number two? And is Autumn Storms going to be able to be the same Autumn Storms on Sunday as she is on, yeah. on Friday? Yeah, that's, pitching is totally the key. I mean, that's yeah. is there a number two ready? Is Bloom ready? Is Mary Half healthy? And then I think you're right on the money. Autumn Storms has been at her worst when teams have seen her again. She's right. really tough to figure out the first time. But when teams see her a second time, you know, she hadn't really figured out how to excel at that level quite yet. That was what made Mary half so great as a freshman. She was good the first time you saw her and the second time. Right. And uh, Arkansas really needs her back at that place if they do want to host. And if she is, then they have that opportunity. And I, I'm very impressed. One thing I am impressed, you know, at all times with Arkansas is Courtney Diefel. Mm-hmm. So I, I think she is going to get them there. Whether or not they're going to make it this year or not, we'll see. But uh, I really, I am impressed with what she is building in Fayetteville. All right, to number seven, Georgia. Gone are Sierra Bryan, Jordan Doggart, and Melina O'Neill. Back, you've got Kuma, Fincher, Mosley, C.J. Landrum. Finally is going to get a full season for Georgia. And I think the key to it all, Tom, Mary Wilson Avant. And her, I think her ninth year of eligibility, Mary Wilson (laughs) Avant, she's, she's reaching that level of, Wow, is she still there? Uh, which I think we're going to kind of get that a little bit here uh, with a lot of people, with everybody getting the extra year. But oh yeah, um, yeah. But she, uh, yes, yeah, if she can be a legitimate Friday Sunday type SEC ace, then Mary Wilson Amet can pitch uh, Georgia to possibly being a top sixteen host, if not a top eight host. I'm not sold on that being the case. I'm not sold on that being able to happen. Would still like to know, you know, what is happening within the program why people transfer out and does that bleed over into performance once the season gets going i think it's interesting this georgia's another one getting a lot of love in the preseason polls more so than the what they got in the coaches poll yeah i love georgia's schedule because i think it is so interesting and so fascinating they've got i think the toughest conference slate we'll get into that more later They've also got Oklahoma coming to Athens for a couple games, which will be fascinating. Is Mary Wilson Avant truly ready to step up? We've seen her have great moments, but not really against the best of the best. Oklahoma will be the best of the best. Number eight, Missouri and Larissa Anderson and the team that brings back literally every single at-bat from 2020. They did lose Eli Daniel. She was their closer. She was a pitcher that could really mix it up. They're going to go pitch by committee again, from what we understand with Schumacher and uh, and Jordan Weber and also Emma Nichols. They all had pretty much the same innings pitch number in 2020. I mean, I don't think Missouri is a team that can win this conference because I, I still believe that you need that ace if you want to win the SEC. But 
this could be the best offense in the SEC with Rollin, Kessinger, Wilmus, Wirt, Moore. I mean, do I need to keep going? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to finish, finish higher than eight. I'm going to go on that, go out on that limb right away. I think, you know, a mindset wise, uh, a team that was probably not deservingly banned from postseason play last year. They don't have that over their head anymore. They have a, something to look forward to. They have a goal and the way that they responded to not having one last year just makes me think now that they do have one, they're going to be even better. I'm pretty high on Missouri. And I mean, Larissa, just, just all of the games against the tough competition on the road, non-conference, they're going to Florida state, Tom, to open it up. Watch out for the time portal that you go through (laughs) somewhere on the way to Tallahassee. Yeah. Don't take that side street. Like we did. No, no. They go to Waco to take on Baylor. They play Iowa state twice. They go to Norman. I mean, we'll see. It's a challenge. She, yeah, Larissa certainly is challenging this, the squad with that non-conference slate. Um, but I think it's a great time to do it uh, because you're, you're, you're pitching by committee anyway, so you're going to give up some runs. But if you can get those offenses rolling against that type of competition, that's going to do nothing but just you know, have your expectations and your confidence sky high heading into conference play. I'd also like to point out, this is bracket buster stuff here. Missouri gets both LSU and Florida at home. Would hate for the Tigers to, to give them some L's. That'd be too bad. Come on, Larissa, help us out. <laughs> Come on, here we go. All right, number nine, South Carolina. I mean, everybody's healthy, we think. Carly Heath, the, uh, the pitcher is gone, but the rest of the staff, O, Oaks, Drotar, they're back. Jana Johns. Huge departure. She's at Oklahoma now. She was one of the best third basemen in the SEC. But everybody else is back. And and yet, Tom, I still I don't feel nearly as good about South Carolina this year as I did last year, even though the personnel really isn't that different overall. I never got on your bandwagon with South Carolina last year, and I'm enjoying having you with me off of it this year. I just don't see where they have the offense that's going to be able to compete on a day in day in day out basis in the conference, even if those pitchers are healthy. And it's been so long since we've seen, you know, Oh, healthy for an extended period of time, uh, Drotar, those type of pitchers. I don't know what they are. Um, so I'm, uh, I, I'm not very high on the game cost. Mississippi state is 10th Tom. This is a team that I know you're a big fan of. You think that's too low way, way yonder too low. They're, they're kind of similar to Missouri as far as because I just I'm not sold on their pitching staff as a whole, but I think they have the opportunity to have an ace more than Missouri does. But my gosh, the hitting for for Mississippi State, uh, they're scary, scary good. I don't think they're going to necessarily be a conference championship contender, but they can beat anybody in this conference on any given day. Totally agree. I mean, it, it doesn't get better than Leilua and Davidson as a one-two power punch. And then they yeah. had other players. I, I mean, Anna Kate Seegers had a great year last year. Carter Spexart, that was somebody that Samantha Ricketts pointed out immediately in, in media days. This is a team that was 25-3. and three. They didn't win the tough ones. That doesn't build the confidence that I, I want to feel about the Bulldogs. But, you know, Emily Williams, the walks were down. Annie Willis, good player out of Troy. I mean, this is another team that's going to bust up some brackets and they play Texas twice in the non-conference. They play Baylor and they also play Alabama in Tuscaloosa on a Wednesday midweek. That's fun. I'm looking forward to that one. (laughs) I think, I mean, I will be 
I'll probably be more surprised if they don't win at least one against Texas than I would be if Texas swept them. Mm. I mean, I, I think they, they can uh, have that chance. It's just at some point, the fact that you have two of the scariest batters in the conference in your lineup back-to-back is just going to be – that's going to win you some games just by themselves. If Williams can keep those walks down, I think Samantha Ricketts kind of showed that she could coach at this level uh, because sometimes, you know, the way that everything happened last year, he had such a late start. It would have been easy for them to lose not just the games that they're – you know, the, that they didn't win the big ones. But they could have lost some other ones very easily, and they didn't. So that, that they were – they showed the maturity – the capability to win those games until they were supposed to. Uh, now we'll see this year if they're able to take that next step. I like that point. As we break down the SEC preseason poll here on the Out of the Box Podcast Season 3 premiere, we'll fly through these last three. Auburn at 11, Texas A&M at 12, Ole Miss at 13. I'll start with Auburn. The usual players are back. Alyssa Rivera, she's good. Tannen Snow, Justice Perry. I mean, they've got some talent. But to me, this is a team that will ride or die behind Samantha Yarbrough, who I think was really about to burst onto the scene as a true SEC ace. She had a wonderful performance in Gainesville in the lone conference series the Tigers had. And uh, I think that how successful she is will determine how good Auburn is. Yeah, I agree. Don't know if they have enough in the lineup to, you know, they may be able to win a couple of 2-1, one nothing type games if she's really on. Uh, but in the games that she's either not pitching or is, is a little bit off, uh, I think it's going to be hard for them to score with most of these offenses in the conference. I mean, we'll see. Auburn is hosting Alabama very early in conference play, so we'll get a good look at the Tigers early on. I'll be sure to bring the, the beekeeper costume when we go to that one. I'll bring the raid. Good, good. A&M is 12. They've got Herzog back in healthy. She was their best bat. She was their best pitcher last year. Potts is gone. McBride is gone. They add uh, Kelsey Brodus, transfer from Boise State. I mean, I'm more confident about AM than I am Auburn, but I, I still think similar to how the top three will separate themselves, I think Auburn, AM, Ole Miss are pretty clear bottom three in the conference. Yeah, I'm with you on there. It seems like Texas AM should be able to make bigger strides than they are from a week or a year in a year out basis. Uh, they had just fallen so far, uh, bringing themselves back up. So uh, they have the facilities to do it, they have the support to do it. Uh, we'll see if they have the players to do it. And finally, Ole Miss, gone as Molly Jacobson. And that was uh, pretty much the key to, to last year. So I'm just going to be watching to see who emerges. I know Maddie Banks, a Virginia Tech transfer, has talent. She's an athletic kid with a lot of pop. But, I mean, this is going to be a, an uphill battle for Jamie Traxel in her first year. And I think it would be absolutely like coach of the year worthy, perhaps, if she got Ole Miss to the tournament. Because I, I just – I'm not sure I see it this season. I think the most interesting development, uh, obviously coaching wise, and maybe the entire conference other than some of the transfers uh, that we've had in this off season was Jamie Traxel coming to Ole Miss from Minnesota. We'll see how, how the players respond to her, how she, what she does with the culture there. Cause uh, Mike Smith had done the great job of elevating a program who was a perennial doormat to a perennial regional host. Yep. Uh, and and then, you know, they've gone they've gone through so much the last two or three years. Can Jamie Traxel, who did a good job at Minnesota, keeping them at that high level? Uh, will she be able to do the same thing at Ole Miss? We'll see. All right. Before we steal second and welcome Amanda Scarborough to the program, Tom, there's going to be a new weekly segment in this portion of the show when we advance okay. the first. That will be Gray's FGCL Corner. Yes. 
I will be talking about the players that I met over the summer. This is for them and all their parents. And, you know, we're just going to, we're going to discuss some of the players. Matty Banks, one of those now at Ole Miss or a couple other SEC talented players that we will see this year. This weekend, we've got my girl Taylor Gilmore, most wicked change up I've seen in a long time, pitcher for Colorado State. So uh, we'll talk about that next week. And that'll be a weekly segment as we uh, get ready for next summer of, uh, of FGCL softball. Cool. I look forward to it. And may, maybe I'll get the, uh, the invite to come down a little bit this year. Absolutely. You're going to hear a lot hint, about hint, Stetson. <laughs> hint, hint. Well, we've got a 12 hour ride to Austin, Tom. We can discuss good, it then. <laughs> good. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. It's time to steal second. We got the sign, Tom. Do you see it through all of the craziness that has been since the last time? <laughs> through masks, face shields, and everything else, I see the, the sign. Green light, guys. We're off. It's time. It's time to steal second. Amanda Scarborough is here. She was our last guest before the world got crazy. She's our first guest in season three. Amanda Scarborough coming up here on the Out of the Box podcast season three premiere. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here as always on the season three premiere. And it is time to steal second with the guest that was last on the show when things were normal. Yes, she was the last guest before the shutdown, also ironically before Alabama, Texas. She is ESPN softball analyst, former Texas a pitcher, and one of the many contributors on the Seven Innings podcast, which I think will be dropping a new episode this week. She's Amanda Scarborough. Amanda, welcome back. Things have changed since we last talked on the podcast. Yeah, so much. I think we could do like an entire podcast and what all has changed nevertheless about this upcoming season, but happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I was curious because uh, I know we talked a little bit over the summer and uh, you did the draft with us and Jen and you're a part of the package deal, but, but what have you been up to in the off season and how much have you missed softball? Uh, I missed a lot. I missed the World Series. I, I thought about how that was the first postseason that I hadn't been a part of since before I w- even got to AM. So, since 2004. I mean, I've been a part of the coverage with ESPN or been a player myself since 2005. So, um, it was crazy not to have it, but it brought all this time. And so, I used that time to be able to create online pitching courses and um, I've really, really enjoyed it. Gotten to coach literally thousands of pitchers all over the country and all over the world too, and brought them together to form this community of support and positivity and growth for them during the challenging time. So it's been, uh, really rewarding and also, um, taking up my time. Like it's just, it's helped like selfishly. It's helped me not just sit in my house the whole time and not do anything. So it's been a win-win. One thing that we lost with the way that the season ended last year was we looked at it, the way things were going, some you know perennial powers were struggling, some people that are normally not really good at were, were winning some big games. Nobody was safe, as we talked about all, all season long. Um, so it was a wide open field, possibly for the World Series, more than we've seen maybe ever. Uh, now this year with the expanded rosters and everybody is going to be, you know, so much depth. So everybody's going to be so good. Uh, Do you think we've missed our window on maybe a Cinderella type story, or is that still possible here in 2021? I think it's possible this year. I mean, I feel like if it happened last year and the teams are basically the same with some new incoming freshmen, why wouldn't it be able to happen this year too? And 
maybe it's me just projecting that into the universe and trying to manifest it because I just love the parody that we saw last year. Um, it made for a lot of fans being really interested and made for new fans and made for a lot of popularity around the sport and covering it and wanting to follow it. So I hope that we get that same thing. I think that it's good for the sport. Um, and it makes it just a little bit more fun to follow it from top to bottom. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because this isn't written down, but is there a team who, who was kind of the flash in the pan last year that you think can replicate that success in 2021 from anyone across the country? You know, the team that I really like last year and also coming out of this year is Oklahoma State. They're, they're a team that we haven't seen at the World Series for a while. And um, Kenny Gajewski has just kept that team growing and growing and growing. They've gotten a lot of transfers over the past few years. Like, I think that this team is legit. Um, and everybody knows that that's not a really big surprise. But again, we haven't seen them in the World Series for in a while. So um, it'd be, I mean, they're, well, sorry, they were there with Sam Chow and they made it, sorry. I'm telling you, my mind in like softball right now is like, I have to regroup with everything. So anyway, sorry, I was thinking about Sam Chow, but still like that's a team that will, I think, continually be able to get there um, because of what he's done with their program. Like, mm -hmm. They're really impressive. You know, if I have any more like brain farts about softball, just know that it's, I'll track it back to 2020 COVID situation, but I'll, I will be on track. I, I will get there. I promise. Uh, I, I, I'm very worried about the, the first game that I haven't done play-by-play -play in, in 11 <laughs> months. And uh, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be know. interesting. And, and we're going to be outside in the freezing cold temperatures. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to it. <laughs> I Greg was looking at me like, no, actually you were there calling their games like two years ago or a year or two ago, Amanda. So pull it together. I, I was going to say, today. if it weren't for Oklahoma State, we wouldn't have had a chance to beat Florida 15-3 in the World Series that year. I, I so. do remember that happening. <laughs> that's a really good point. And that's a total my bad situation, but. I even called her a super regional against Florida State <laughs> to get there, which makes them more sad. But I'm telling oh. you, I'm studying every day. I will get where I need to be. I've been all pitchers and pitching <laughs> angel and courses. <laughs> I'll get there. A lot, a lot has happened in, in the past 12 months. That's for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I think everyone is, is kind of on that same page. But uh, one interesting thing that I've noticed here, um, I think the SEC, especially at the top, uh, is a little is pretty wide open especially considering you had Alabama in the preseason coaches uh, poll in the conference, Alabama was pretty much the consensus number one. But when you look at what's going on in the national polls, Alabama is the third uh, team usually listed. Uh, what are you seeing at the top of the sec this year? A lot of respect for Alabama. And of course for Florida too, who's always at the top in the preseason and always at the end of the year too. So a lot of respect for those two teams because they've been the perennial powerhouses in the SEC winning a lot of regular season championships. Um, but I, I really have my eye on LSU. I, I think that they were a team last year that I was super interested to see if they would make it to the world series and how they would do when they got there, mainly because of their pitching staff and, they had just a lot of a young new blood that was super athletic, like Taylor Pleasance comes to mind. Um, so I, they're a team that had my attention and I was looking up stuff about them. I mean, they have nine freshmen, 30 on their roster. They still have their same core pitching staff who seems to really get along. So LSU kind of has my attention in terms of maybe being able to go and make some noise and get that regular season championship. That's just been uh, a big part of Alabama and Florida's history. 
Yeah, one of the things that we talked about in the season two finale was all the unanswered questions. And I do feel like LSU was one of those because for years we've talked about LSU being ready to win the conference, but then they have that late season conference play swoon that kind of takes them out of it or takes away their shot to win the league. And this looked like a team in 2020 that had a chance to maybe boot that and we never got a chance to see it. So I'm really interested and I'm sure you are too, to see what LSU looks like through the entirety of conference play, not just at the beginning when they always get off to such a strong start. Yeah, they just have so many different looks in the circle and they're all really strong. Remember, this is a team that finished, I believe, with the best ERA in the nation with Gorsuch, Sinceri, Kilponen, and Wickersham. Like, I think they have the best named pitching staff too. Um, and they have, uh, from what I read, I think they have a freshman coming in as well who's probably pretty good because she just recruits, uh, that's Rena recruits really good pitchers. So they're going to be strong in the circle and be able to give you a lot of different looks. They all complement each other really well. So I feel like that's what's going to be a big part of making them so strong and tough to beat. Amanda Scarborough joining us here for the season three premiere of Out of the Box alongside my partner, Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson, and we will be back on the air this weekend for opening weekend in Austin. Amanda, you will be there too. It's a big weekend, Alabama, Arizona, Texas. They're all there. And before we really break down what uh, you expect to see in the Texas Classic, we have to talk about the biggest story of the offseason, even though it just happened a couple weeks ago. And that was Miranda Elish opting out for the year. Best player on Texas team. You, you could argue she was primed to win player of the year last year. What does her absence do to the Longhorns in 2021? You know, I want to say that it's big, but Mike White is the type of coach who I feel like has coached through all types of adversity and it, it just moves forward. It's like, okay, well that happened, but we're, we're just going to keep moving forward. Um, I, if he weren't the coach, I'd be like, yeah, this is really, really big, but I still think Texas is going to be strong. Um, my initial gut instinct too, was just like what I was talking about. Like, oh, I don't know if Texas is going to be as good, but then I think, wait, Mike White at the helm, like he... He just knows how to win games. He knows how to get those pitchers prepared to take on more innings, to be able to be bigger leaders in the circle. And LSD, we forget, she had a really great year at the plate. So that's a big reason mm -hmm. why if there was going to be a player of the year awarded, it probably was going to go to her because of what she did at the plate and in the circle. So um, I'm super interested, Gray. I They have the Mike White factor, but I don't know if they'll be able to really overcome Miranda Ellish not being there. I mean, she's just such a big presence for them. It's it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's going to be really hard for them. And last year, I was all in on them knocking off Oklahoma and winning the Big 12. Um, do you think there's anybody in the Big 12 if it's not end up being Texas? Is there anybody that has that opportunity to knock off the Sooners? I know you mentioned uh, the Cowgirls a little while ago. Yeah, I, I really like them, you guys. I, and mainly because of how Everly competes in the circle and what she showed us coming over from Virginia Tech to Oklahoma State. And she, last year, she just was mowing people down. I mean, Kenny Gajewski, like, I think it, there's a quote that said, like, I love her guts. Like, I just love her guts. And I'm like, I've never heard a coach say that about anybody. And that's awesome. Like, if a coach says that about me, I'm feeling like, wow, like, I'm going to go out and compete even harder for him. You know, like, that was just such a great quote and I think that she can beat anybody so the thing is about trying to win the big 12 you probably got to be Oklahoma twice so mm -hmm. it's it's one thing if you beat them once but it's another thing if you beat them twice so that's that could be the difference maker there and also just taking care of business like outside of even playing them just winning the games that you should win and and that's to be determined big weekend as as we've talked about in Texas and Austin with Alabama Texas Arizona and you know Colorado State a team that's been in regionals 
fairly recently and you never know week one what could all happen there so they could be an, an extra uh wrench thrown in too what do you expect to see in this huge matchup this weekend yeah um i can't wait to see all, all these games you guys even alabama arizona playing each other texas taking on both of those teams i think it's going to be really good i know that jen fisher the head coach of uh, colorado state has done a really nice job with their program they're always super competitive and sam houston state will be there as well and you know they're a texas team i'm from texas so they're uh, i've always grown up watching them and even playing them in regionals and and even at AM, they beat us once or they almost beat us like it's always really good games with them because they're competitive and a texas school so i think it'll be awesome i think it'll be really good softball and probably the best softball of the weekend anywhere i'm guessing i don't know that for a fact maybe you guys have looked at it a little bit more but it's going to be the best tournament of the opening weekend i would think have have you as a player did you ever have a layoff the length of time that these players have had never i mean never ever i no, <laughs> like, how, I mean, how, how do you, how do you respond? I guess the only way, like if somebody had an, you know, a Tommy John type surgery or something that had put them out for an entire season would be the only possible, you know, comparison you can make. Uh, but I mean, how excited are these girls going to be just to get out there and play an actual softball game after 11 months? I think it's going to be awesome. I think that there's going to be so much excitement. These players are going to be feeling that, um, it's gotten taken away from me before. So I'm going to go all out every game and play every game. Like it's my last mentality. And I think with the talent that's returning and the maturity that is returning, that can make for a really, really special season. Now on the other side of things, you guys, what I've been thinking about is like, yes, there's that maturity, all this talent coming back so much athleticism, but you also have these freshmen coming in. And so there's going to be so much competition at every position. And so how does that translate? Mm -hmm to the field well okay well what about just team culture and team chemistry how is that going to affect team chemistry there's going to be unhappy players i mean it's not i'm not going to try to sugarcoat it there's going to be unhappy players there's probably even going to be players leaving in the middle of the season because they're not playing who knows like it's a it's an experience that we've never experienced before so you don't even know what to expect but what i do know is that even on the smaller rosters there's unhappy players and it's uh, a management type game that the coaches go through what about with the bigger rosters? What's going to happen in terms of team chemistry and how might that affect teams that we're used to seeing in the World Series or go far? How might that affect them to where they're not playing their best at the end of the season? Yeah, all really interesting stuff to consider as we get ready to start the season with Amanda Scarborough joining us here on the season three premiere. All right, let's talk about the team. We, we said earlier, nobody's safe. That was a mantra last year. Let's talk about the team that's probably safest for sure. That would be UCLA. They were really good. They added two Olympians, you know, just, just for fun. I've asked this question to a couple of people and I'm going to ask it to you publicly here on this podcast. Could this UCLA team be one of the best we've ever seen in college softball? You know, I hadn't thought about it, but as soon as you entered that question, I knew that that's what you're going to ask. And I have to say, yes. I mean, I think about the Oklahoma team, Oh, I'm trying to think of the year, but it was also, you know, one of the best teams ever when Lauren Chamberlain was on the team, Jessica Schultz, Kehlani Ricketts, like one of the best teams ever. So I think about that team, but I think that this, this UCLA team, how oh, they're going to be so good. You guys, I mean, they're going to, they have speed, they have defense, they have pitching depth. They, they have everything and they're the defending national champs. So they still get to carry that around. And 
say, knock us off. It's, it's yours for the taking. Yeah. And because of the nature of the season, they've also got a, a really just saying it bluntly easy non-conference schedule. I mean, the, the, probably the toughest non-PAC 12 game is the opener against Fresno state. Everybody else, those are teams that UCLA should beat pretty handily. Yeah, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, oftentimes coaches, even the the top 10 teams, they want to play a challenging schedule. Florida comes to mm-hmm. mind, always plays a really challenging preseason schedule because he wants to get them ready for conference play. And most importantly, he wants to get them ready for the postseason. So I'm interested to see how that will play a part. But I have a feeling that they have so much talent that they're going to get into Pac-12s and just be able to turn it on and head toward the postseason. Let's talk about something that it's always one of my favorite topics, committees. And uh, we have a committee this year that's going to have an interesting uh, slate ahead of them in far, as far as putting together the national championship tournament at the end of the year. Um, you're going to have different conferences that are going to have different guidelines. Some are going to be conference only. Um, you know, we're going to see teams playing a different number of games. We're going to see some cancellations. Hope not too many, but I'm sure there's going to be some as the season goes along. How do you think the committee will evaluate the the entirety of national softball this year with everybody kind of playing their own rules? I'm just glad that I'm not on that committee. I mean, there's always drama every year when it's like a normal season. Um, there's always there's always something, right? So I, quite frankly, I, I have no idea. I, I don't even know what to guess because, again, we've never been put in a situation before. So um hopefully we get some clarity you know throughout the year I think that's what we're just always looking for is what are they looking for what should we look for as broadcasters what should we talk about and and how should these these coaches handle their schedules even you know before the season which is hard right now you know for like the big 10 they're only going to play conference games right like Mm -hmm. so they're not they're not going to play any out of conference I don't so has it ever happened before? Do we even have any precedents like to compare it to? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, what do you, what do you even say? I don't know. It's so hard. Well, I, for one, am emotionally preparing for James Madison to run through the CAA conference only schedule, be undefeated. And for that to be a discussion that we have to have, because JMU's a good team. I'm not sure that they would be a team I would think for a top 16 seed, but how does the committee ignore an undefeated team through the regular season? I don't know, but that that's honestly what I thought about is for like the Big Ten, JMU is a good example, is those are teams that have tried to get into the top 16 to get a top 16 national seed, right? Like that's that's what they're pushing for. I mean, if they get a top eight seed like a Minnesota before, like that, then that's just incredible for them. But now that they're not playing any out-of-conference games and don't have any opportunity to go and raise up their strength of schedule and to get those big wins against higher-ranked teams, I think if anything, it's not going to affect them getting into the tournament, but it's going to affect the seeding for their tournament. And how do I think that's going to be the biggest parallel? Well, where, okay, Minnesota's not a 10, but they're a 16. Michigan would have been a 15, but now they're not even seated. I'm just mm-hmm. hypothetically throwing out some situations. I think that that's where maybe we're going to see it, but can you hurt a conference because they only had conference rules for non-conference? I don't know. I, like, I don't know. We saw it in football this year too that it abs- it still it leaves you with zero margin for error too, like Ohio State couldn't afford to lose a game in the Big Ten because they were only playing six seven games. You know, JMU's not going to be able to afford to drop one game. There are some other good teams in, in the Colonial. Um, they won't be able to afford to to have any shot if they lose one. Well, trust me, as an Aggie fan, 
Um, and being an alum, nobody hears your Ohio State argument more than because <laughs> it was like, hold on, time out. We, we've done all of this body of work that they said in Ohio State's done this, like, and played for a longer amount of time, more months, more practice, kept everybody helped. Like, so anyway, I could go yeah. on and on about that. I'm with you. We're with you. <laughs> yeah. SEC, like, man, SEC, let's go. Yeah, uh, as the uh, son of an Aggie grad and with a bunch of Aggies on the mom side of the family, that was a tough Sunday yeah. <laughs> in the family yeah. group chat. <laughs> Who's going to be the A&M of the college softball season, right? Like yeah. that might even happen where the committee flips it and doesn't and just honors an undefeated team like JMU or Michigan or Minnesota or whoever, like who's going to be the A&M of the college softball season is probably going to happen. Well, I think this is a good way to close them because let's talk about your four. If I asked you, Amanda Scarborough, to pick four World Series teams right now, all we know pretty much are rosters. I assume you haven't seen much of any practices pretty much anywhere across the country because we haven't. So who would your four be for the Women's College World Series right now? This is great. I love it that you said four, two and not eight, because then I start to forget who I picked. And then it's like, wait, I forgot this team. So four. Um, I would go Oklahoma, UCLA, Alabama, and Washington. Those are going to be my four. Do you feel like Louisiana is still a viable? Because a lot of people have Louisiana in the top 10. They were number one in the RPI last year, but that was with Summer Ellison, or now I guess Summer Summers, and Megan Kleist. No Kleist yeah. this year. I think they're giving a lot of credit to their experience when they have six-year seniors like Caitlin Alderink and Alyssa Dalton. They're going to have a really, really, really good offense, and it might be a situation where their offense is their best defense. Um, so they're going to have to find number two pitcher behind Summer Ellison. I mean, that that's what it's going to come down to because if she pitches every inning, <laughs> she's not going to be even – She'll, she'll, she's going to be so tired by May and June. I mean, and that's just how it is too. She could be pitching her, her, what her best, but if you're tired, then you're tired, you know? So managing her is going to be huge, but they have a ton of experience and transfers that came to them. Sierra Bryan was a really big ad. So they could put up a ton of runs, a ton, a ton, a ton of runs. And I think they'll have a pretty good defense too, because they have a lot of veterans um, that will be on their defense. Jade Gortares came over from Arizona state. She's another good defender. I don't even know where Jerry's going to play everybody. I really don't. And I'm sure he, he might not either. It might just be a little rotation thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the rich have certainly gotten richer this off season, especially yeah. at Louisiana. That's going to be a fun team to watch. There's so much happening already. I I'm just excited that we get to talk about softball. Amanda, yeah. you, Jen Schroeder, all the friends, Michelle Smith that we've had on this podcast, uh, it's just so great to actually get to talk to you again about this sport because it has truly been too long since the uh, softball season. I know I'm ready. Y'all are ready. Fans are ready. The players and coaches are ready. I think the stage is set and let's all have a great season and Absolutely. as healthy as we possibly can be. Right. Yeah, let's get as many games in as possible. That's Amanda Scarborough joining us here in the stealing second portion of the show. She will be calling the games on Longhorn Network. She'll be in one crew. Michelle Smith will be in the other one. So you can watch those this weekend uh, as Alabama takes on Texas, Arizona, and Colorado State. Amanda, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Always good to see you. Thank you, guys. All right, we've stolen second. Now it's time to round third. On the other side, it's P-Tech's point of view. We always love to hear from Emily P-Tech, right, Tom? Oh, yeah. What is happening with the biggest Alabama softball fan possibly 
in existence, Emily Pizek. We're going to talk about literally everything as we round third here on the Out of the Box podcast. Emily Pitek's point of view coming up on the other side here on the season three premiere. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast, season three premiere. We are rounding third. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here, as always, kicking off the 2021 softball season with, of course, our favorite guest for all premiere episodes. This will be the third season premiere in which she has appeared. It is time for P-Tech's point of view with Emily P-Tech Clifford joining us. Emily P-Tech, welcome back. We missed you. How are you? Guys, I forgot what you looked like, but this is wonderful being able to talk to you. (laughs) It's been, it, it's been a hiatus, you know, but it, it feels like softball season now. You know, in the in the uh, in the meanwhile, I had a child. There's been a global pandemic. Um, my child is almost one, and uh, you know, the Bills the Bills were in the AFC Championship game. So here we go. I was so, going to say the last time you were on, you were very pregnant. You were about to have Patrick. Now you've got Patrick. Is he excited for his first Alabama softball season? Whatever that means. He loves people and noise, so hopefully, I mean, there won't be as many people, but, you know, he, he likes watching his sister play softball in the backyard, so hopefully we can bring him down to Tuscaloosa and he can really love it. So sure, I'm sure he'll be good, good, the good luck charm. I hope so. That'll be that'll be fun, and we're looking forward to having fans at Rhodes this year, and I know you'll be to as many games as possible yeah, uh, this season. Again. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit because, you know, limited capacity roads is still more than I think the capacity of most of the stadiums in the country and even some of the SEC. But I want to start off with a big offseason topic at Alabama. That was the transfer of Skylar Wallace to Florida. Posted a picture on Instagram the other day of her in a Florida uniform and it, it just looked weird. So <laughs> what do you think about all this? How did you react when you saw that Skylar was leaving Alabama and going to Florida? Um. There's, there's three things. I think I went through three stages. So one was shocked. Um, the second was blindsided and the third is happy. So, uh, when the initial news came out, I would definitely was shocked. Um, actually, no, let's reverse that blindsided, shocked, then happy. Um, that would be the last person I would think that would have transferred or, or wanted to leave. Um, you know, she was just, she brought everything that I thought to the, to the team and, and played so hard and was a fan favorite and just a cool kid. And, um, so when I, when that happened this, this past year, you know, great, we were texting and I think I had to calm you down about it, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) it's wild. And so the second part, um, the, the shocked part is I never, ever, 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 ever thought she'd go to Florida. Um, I was kind of banking on uh, West Coast, Washington type of thing. And I would have been okay, out of sight, out of mind a little bit. Um, the Florida the Florida transfer is making this, this series and rivalry a little bit more spicy. So um, it's, it's just going to be awesome. Um, the third part of that is happy. And I think, you know, having played college athletics and, um, I mean, Skylar's good enough to play pro in, in the pro leagues, but you know, you have to maximize your experience. And for whatever reason she chose to leave um, are hers and you got to respect that. And she's going to a good program. So, I mean, she, she wants to win and whether it's Alabama or Florida, I think she has a really good chance to do, do that. And um, 
you know, there's going to be motivation for everybody, for her, for, for her teammate, her former teammates, for her new teammates. Um, so it's going to be really fun watching her as a gator. But will it? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know about fun. I don't know if fun is the right word. Um, It's funny, like, I I still, like, just this week, I got a direct message. Someone was asking me, hey, why'd Skyler leave? And it's like, I promise people, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the inside thing was. I I don't know. Um, But I mean, at this point, it's like, you know what? You just kind of have to move on. Uh, and Alabama's doing that. It's obviously, it's not a, the most important thing is I don't think it is a, like a representation of there's some sort of major issue with the Alabama program. This is just a, I chalk it up to a 2020 thing. And it, you know, and it was a something with, with Skyler specifically. I, I think everybody else on the team seems to be uh, ready to go. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I think coaching staff and players, you just, it's next person up and talk about next person up. There's a, there's a big roster. So yeah. someone probably was probably like, all right, my time, my time to, to step up and, and be that consistent bat and consistent, you know, glove. And um, hopefully everybody is just like, all right, new slate, let's go. So that's all you can hope for. Yeah. But, you know, I hope she doesn't do better than the tide, but we'll hope for her success. <laughs> When you saw the uh, the schedule get released and saw what the non-conference schedule looks like, obviously a big weekend to start off for Alabama and Texas with both the Longhorns and Arizona getting added in, which we didn't know that was coming, and then, you know, get into the conference schedule. Uh, what do you think when the schedule came out? Anything jump out at you? I thought it looked a lot like 2020, the schedule, how it, how it stacked up. And I actually, today, I just looked at the, at the past um, schedule and, you know, we're opening up with 6-7 Texas or whatever it is. And last year they opened up with 6-7. Florida then, State, yeah. Yeah, and then it was UCLA, which was number two, I guess. And, you know, Arizona's up there as well. So, honestly, it's pretty darn similar. Um, and, you know, you have Louisiana on there. We're picking up LSU non-conference. Um, you got Florida. You have Tennessee. We have Georgia. I mean, it is stacked. And it's pretty amazing that in a pandemic year that Murph has Murph and the other coaches have agreed to, to get this to be able to happen. And um, I think he's learned from a couple of years ago that he has to schedule strong and yeah. whether it's, it's in a pandemic year or not um, he's, he's got to get those games in and everybody kind of now knows that. Alabama being number eight this year, the difference yeah. between last year, Alabama's number eight instead of number, number one in the preseason I, I'm personally ecstatic about it. Me too. Uh, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, last time we were ranked number eight going into something pretty big, it worked out all right. You know, <laughs> it did. It a little <laughs> bit short, but um, eight is great for the tide. You know, it's great. It's, I don't think, I think Murph has been around enough, long enough that he knows how to motivate his players in whatever situation they're in. Last year, targets on your back. It's a heck of a lot harder to be successful when you're the hunted. And I think nobody else knows that, but someone who's in the athletic department at Alabama um, dealing with the football program and everything Saban has done. But Alabama softball is, is also hunted and it doesn't matter where they're ranked. Everybody's going to get up for them. And, but now when you give those players on the tide, the motivation to be like, they don't think we're good enough. You know, does that make training? Does that make practice a little more intense? Does that make, 
kids go, more willing to go and take BP? Yeah, heck yeah, it does, you know? So, um, and I think the way that last year went being 14 and eight before the season was halted, um, everybody wasn't satisfied with how it was going, you know, and pitching staff hitting everything, defense, people weren't happy about it. And when I say people, and I'm talking about fans, you know, they're crazy, but, but the players, the, the staff was not happy about it. So um, I think, and it, everybody's back. Everybody's mm. back. Yeah. And, and you're taking, you're taking those players and an elephant never forgets. So, I mean, if I, I'm just really excited. I'm not going to put any expectations on them. And I think a lot of people did last year, probably even the players themselves. And, and now they don't have as great expectations. I mean, with internally, yeah, they want to win a national championship. They want to win an SEC championship. But as far as outward expectations, doubt, doubt the tide, see what happens. I want to cycle back, cycle back. to uh, one of the non-conference games that you mentioned. That was the LSU game because, and we're going to make our picks later on in the episode. I think reasonably that Alabama LSU game could be a non-conference matchup, one game between the two best teams in the conference. And that's going to be a complete blast to have that happen at Rhodes. Again, you know, we don't know what the capacity is going to be like as the season goes on, because as we have learned in the last year, everything changes, yada, yada, yada. But by then it'll probably still be about that 30%. And Rhodes at 30% is still louder than pretty much every other softball stadium in America. And to have that home field advantage for a game of that magnitude against a conference opponent in a non-conference situation, that's, that's critical. I mean, it, the impact of that cannot be overstated. Yeah. That game is going to be at a fever pitch. Um, I think I think Murph has to be really excited that he has the largest capacity softball uh, facility in the country because 30% is over a thousand people. And over a thousand people is, <laughs> I mean, we're, Alabama be softball. Be a a lot of places. Alabama softball is like 20th in the country on baseball attendance. So maybe 15th, it's somewhere, it's up there. But and the Alabama softball fans are just, I mean, I, I posted on Twitter, like, I didn't even get my season tickets yet. I, I put in for the request for them and people were messaging me. If you can't make it, sell them to me. I will go just like mm-hmm. football this year. And it's people are, there's going to be, if I was a smart person, I'd be like, I'd sign up to be a custodian at Alabama real quick and be like, can you put me on the softball duty? I'll, you know, I'll, wipe some toilets so I can (laughs) in and watch some stuff, but however you can get there, get there. And if it means you go out and um, I don't know what they're doing about season uh, about the student tickets, but hopefully they open some of those and the brickyard opens up for people who just really want to get in. And um, if you're, if you're, if you're one of the lucky ones to get in, you better be loud because you're representing four other people who can't be there, you Mm -hmm. know? So, um, but Alabama fans are smart and they're conditioned and they're trained and all it takes is a double play, a strikeout, um, a sack bunt in the right situation. Like it doesn't matter. The Tide fans know like when to get loud. Um, even if I'm not there, like it, they just know and, and you can almost feel it. It's a pulse. And it's just like, sometimes everybody's just waiting for it to like, just kick up. And then it's, then it's a fever pitch and then it's really hard Obviously, it won't be like your for the players. It won't be like this mass just right above you because it's so close. But that place is going to get loud. There's no question. 
And I wanted to ask you something you mentioned about how the, you know, the fans um, with the way that they react with football and everything else coming in. Uh, one thing that we talk about a lot is, you know, the, the rising tide rising, you know, rises all boats. And I want to ask as a former Alabama athlete, did you kind of see that, you know, when, and we've seen it this year with um, so many other sports doing so well um, when Alabama football does well, how it kind of helps. It seems to help everybody. Well, I was there when we weren't doing well in football. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, was not as fun time. No, it wasn't, but you're right. It's like, I, it, if I was, if I was an athlete there now, I would feel the internal pressure and the, not pressure, but motivation to be like, I don't want to be on one of the teams that gets left out of feeling that feeling mm -hmm. and having people talk about my program and my team and when I go out I'm recognizing you're like oh you play you play for softball oh you're a gymnast oh you're on the baseball team oh you're a golfer I mean you want me to keep going because I can oh you're a men's basketball player like <laughs> like seriously yeah. and it's just you're a local celebrity when you come to Alabama if you're an athlete and especially now it's really really cool we're doing Emily Pitek's point of view here on the out of the box podcast as we round third on the season three premiere all right Emily, let's uh, let's talk SEC. So I, I might have tipped my hand a little bit when I was talking about that LSU Alabama situation. We're going to do our picks later on. How do you look at the conference? So how do you see it playing out this year? Because as Tom and I have discussed, and we talked about it a lot at the end of media days, there seem to be three at the top pretty clearly with Alabama, LSU, and Florida. And then after that, you can arrange all those teams in any way that you want. I, I think I'm probably in agreement um, with those top three and probably, I don't know. I think they're like one A and C, A, B and C. Mm -hmm. And then I think Georgia is kind of my fourth pick. Um, I'm actually curious, and I don't know if you guys know any clarification about this, but if there are cancellations because of COVID stuff, protocols, and I remember a couple of years ago, there were rainouts and, and percentage wise, it was based on number of games played. I don't, I haven't heard anything about um, cancellations and games played and how they're doing, who actually will be the, the regular season champion or anything like that. So I had heard that there was, there is possibilities of it toward the end of playing midweek double headers to get them in. Yeah. To get some of those games in, but that would still be, you'd still lose one game. Like it was rained out. Um, and then when it'd be just like, like you said, like when it's rained out, so it would go down to percentage points. Um, yeah. yeah. For the so, regular season champion. If so that situation, we're trying to get every, every game possible in, I mean, health and health of everybody COVID wise is number one. Sure. Health of pitching staff is number two. And if you're going by that and depth of pitching staff, I think you have Alabama with six pitchers. Um, <laughs> Are we going to play six games a week? Because we could. Yeah. Um, but and then and then, I don't know. LSU is always has a good pitching staff. Um, so it's like who who gets hot and who, which coach finds the rotation that works for him. You know, is Murph going to go? You know, Tana on a on a first day opener and then by committee and maybe one of those kids be a closer. I mean. What does he do? Because he has every every tool he needs right now. So mm -hmm. it might be a year where coaches get creative um, and really maximize innings for for players and, and trying to get the best matchups. Um, because honestly, every, I think every coach now knows you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So who knows? I mean, so try to go win, win now. So I think, I don't know if 
I can never discredit Florida. Um, we try, but it can never we, happen. We were all in on them not being good last year, and then look, and they were going to be, you know, probably winning the conference. So I, I know. So I don't know. I really don't know. I'm I'm not, I'm not going to tie myself to saying one team's going to win it, but I think it will be Alabama, LSU, or uh, Florida. It's one of those three. One other thing we talked about earlier in the podcast, uh, Emily, was um, the seemingly the disconnect when you're looking at the polls that are coming out um you know the coaches polls for the sec specifically and this you know an alabama centric podcast so we'll we'll mention them because that's, that's who we follow but alabama is according according to the coaches and everyone that follows the sec really closely alabama is the odds-on favorite to win the league it was pretty much a landslide that they were they're the preseason pick but in all the national polls, Alabama is the third SEC team yeah. to show up. Wow. Um, you know, we see it with the committees. Alabama won the SEC by four games in 2019. Somehow Florida's the five seed, Alabama's the eight seed. <laughs> Why is there such a disconnect between reality and what the national media is assuming they're looking at? Because the national media doesn't have to play an SEC schedule against Alabama, Florida, or LSU. <laughs> yeah, and, you, and you have the good – you have – so the top 10 is, is kind of spread out, right? It's like a couple teams from the pack, couple teams from the SEC, sprinkle in some, some uh, big 10 teams in, or big 12 teams in there. But I don't know. I, I wrote it down. NFC eight, yet LSU is five and seven, and UF is seven. Uh, USA, eight, LSU, five, US, UF, six. D1 softball, Bama, eight, LSU, five, UF, six. It's bizarre. It makes no sense. It, yeah. I don't know. I wonder if, um, you know, the SEC coaches, they're voting and they can't vote for their own school. Um, but the telling thing to me is that Alabama had nine first place votes in the right. SEC coaches poll. And um, that's probably Tim Walton voting for Bama. That's, that's Beth Tarina voting for Bama. That's probably – Maybe not Lou Harris, but he's a grandma. But, um, you know, most you mean front of the podcast, Lou Harris? After the 2012 tournament, she came up to me after I was ragging on her all, all tournament. She came up to me. She said an expletive in my ear. She was like, I just blank you, but I wish I had you in my stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so I love her. I love her, man. But um, so, so the coaches in the SEC know that they're always consistently going to get a tough Alabama team. And I think maybe it's because last year that Bama was just like supposed to be like this and kind of was training like that, but maybe that was the impression that was left in everybody's mind. But I don't know after 25 years that you can discredit a Patrick Murphy team. I don't know. how it, you can. It, it, It's just, it's odd to me that Alabama doesn't get the benefit of the doubt for the most part in those type of situations. Um, and then some of it seems as though they're just going to put the same people down and it's going to take a whole lot for them to change it. Yeah. Like even at, even if, you know, I will, I will maintain, we'll go through until, you know, March and maybe into April and it'll be pretty much the same top 10 unless somebody just absolutely tanks it. Yeah. Um, and it's going to, it's so hard for people to, you know, break into the top 25 if they're not a normal top 25 type team and it's so hard for normal top 25 teams if if they are tanking it to completely drop out of the top 25 it's like it 
And I don't know why certain teams get benefit of the doubt and others don't. It, what's it makes more no difficult? sense. What's more difficult, making it into the 14 playoff for football or making it a top eight seed for, for uh, NCAA softball tournament? Right. You know? I mean, well, yeah, that's kind of the same argument but, I make when people say you need to expand the playoff. That Well, if you just want to – if you want to absolutely guarantee Alabama's in the playoff every single year, sure, make it eight. Right. Because it, right, because then it'll be even easier for them to get in. Right. Uh, so it's kind of the same thing. Um, you're going to – it's the same people. You know, we even see the same freaking super regional matchups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, we know Kentucky's going to be the 15 or 16 seed, and they're going to take on UCLA probably or Arizona. It's like it's, it's always the same ones when that's not always the way the season – you know, shows that it should be. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating. I've well, decided, I, go, ahead. Or go ahead. I've decided not to put a lot of stock into preseason polls. I mean, Missouri basketball was ranked 10th in the SEC and they're killing it. So, right. You no, know, I mean, it's just human error. It's people being like, oh, maybe this will do it. I mean, you don't know who's going to play. You don't know who's going to play. You don't know how the chips are going to fall. You don't know who's going to get hot when they're going to get hot. So it's, I mean, it's wonderful to have it so you can talk about something because everybody needs something to talk about. I mean, we're doing it right now. So, um, but at the end of the day, show up, ball out. And if you don't want to, it's your fault. <laughs> I wanted to put a button on this topic before we move on to a couple more things before we wrap up in PTEC's point of view. But, you know, I think that's another bummer when it comes to looking at the 2020 season ending, because we talked about it a lot on the podcast, it was going to be the most unpredictable NCAA tournament we had ever seen. We had more upsets than ever before. We had teams breaking into the top 25 and teams knocking off top 10 teams like Fresno state Duke, uh, so many more UCF, all these teams, Clemson looked like an actual team that could do something in the tournament in their first year ever. And we never got that chance. And you know, the way that, rosters broke down and the way that some teams got better and other teams kind of stayed the same going into 2021. I think we really missed our window to have that opening for other teams, for all the teams outside the powers and the sec and the big 12 and the PAC 12, because really they've been running the sport for the last 15 years for all those other schools to come in and actually make some noise in the sport. Yeah. I hope, I hope there's a couple of dark horses this year because it makes it fun. Like you were saying last year, like Fresno and uh, Duke were just really fun to keep up with. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Clemson, Clemson is just, I'm a little scared of them in a couple of years. They'll, they'll be really good. <laughs> they'll be really good. Gosh darn Clemson. But well, we need somebody else to be good in the ACC. So yeah, um, that's, that's okay. Wouldn't that be great getting Clemson here in a, in a regional one time? That'd be fun. Maybe this year. Yeah, let's do it. All right, I want to pivot to the Olympics because as we have covered many times on this podcast, your bestie is Kat Osterman. <laughs> you know, the greatest of all time. Okay. Uh, the uh, the star of Team USA. And, and there have been reports that have been refuted since they came out that the 2021 or 2020, whatever they're calling it, Olympics in Tokyo have been put in jeopardy. An article came out that said they were quietly looking around for a way to cancel it. Japan came out and said, no way, no, that's not what's happening at all. It's still kind of a mystery. Who really knows what's going to happen? But I'm curious what you think about this whole saga with the Olympics and and how Kat and the team are taking it, if you've talked to them at all. I never got a emergency text from cat being like it's canceled so you know i'm going to choose to believe it's going forward um and i hope it does because 
I follow just my relationship with Kat and then following someone like Danielle Laurie, who is, she has two children and she's put it off for another year, like being a mom and being a wife and like all this kind of stuff. And her tra- training's hard. And, and uh, with social media, you get to dive into these athletes' lives. And it, it, for the regular person, like you and I being like, oh yeah, they're going to the Olympics and think, okay, maybe they start training three months in advance. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. Mm-hmm. And I hope it happens because the, the amount of time and effort and the, the incredible sacrifices that are being made for these athletes is insane. And um, for someone who's in at the end of their career, like Kat and maybe Danielle, like maximize it and l- let them play, like have it. Like, I don't care if there's fans, let them go and, and do it. Everyone's and, watching on TV anyway, so. I mean, I can't, I can't afford to go over to Japan. So I got the pre-tickets. I was like, Kat, I'm not coming. (laughs) I can't make it. Um, I did, I did see a report that uh, Florida had offered to host it if Japan didn't want to. I'm sure Birmingham did it as well at some point. So we, we, we did soccer in 1996. So, you know, whatever we got to do. I was there. Um, So I hope, (laughs) I hope it happens. Um, and, you know, I just saw Kat sign up to play in the second year of AU's, uh, AU's league. So I was like, wait, she's not really not going to be done after the Olympics. But, you know, um, I hope it happens. And I hope soccer happens because I'm, I'm a big soccer fan. And I hope softball happens. And who wants to see, I want to see gymnastics. I want to see swimming. I want to see these things. So it's not just softball related, but um, it's a global event. And when we've had a global event the last year being so terrible, why don't we have a global event that actually is wonderful? Mm-hmm. So I really hope it happens because it's done. It always seems that um, the Olympics and world cups kind of galvanize a nation and there's, there's pride again. And so whatever country you represent, like who doesn't want to see your whole country get behind something in a positive manner. Before we let you go, and we always do appreciate your point of view. I wanted to give you a chance to say a few words because there was uh, there was something that unfortunately we did not get to experience in 2021. You lost your title as the uh, as the Cakewalk champion at Trivia Night in 2020. A pandemic came. We could not do Trivia Night in 2021. Are you okay having to wait this long to reclaim your title? I'm going to take a page from Kat Osherman and I'm just waiting for my time to shine, baby. And Montana better watch out because she was, she was the champion last year, but I was in the final eight while carrying a child. So she's toast. Like there's, I'm training, I'm doing squats. I'm walking around my table. Like my kids are putting Alexa on and then stopping it and I'm beating them and they're falling to the ground. So everybody better watch out because <laughs> I'm winning that cake. <laughs> you heard it here first, Emily yes. Tech. She's going to win the cakewalk. Coming for you, Montana. (laughs) That's P-Tech's point of view here on the Out of the Box podcast season three premiere as we round third with Emily P-Tech. Thank you so much for joining us. It was great. We'll uh, we'll catch up soon and we'll see you at Rhodes. Absolutely. Better do it. Party at Rhodes. Roll Tide, guys. Yes, ma'am. Roll Tide. tide. All right, Tom, we've rounded third. Now it's time to head home. It's been a good premiere. (laughs) It's been a lot of fun. Hope everyone's enjoyed it. A lot of fun talking with Amanda and Emily just now and, uh, and yes, we haven't played a softball game in 11 months. There's still some off-the-wall things we need to talk about. Oh, yes. We've got off-the-wall SEC predictions, landmine or gold mine. Here we well, go. Well, Gray finally get one right. Neither of us had season ends due to pandemic <laughs> no. on the last year. <laughs> no. 
Uh, well, we'll get to that in the Heading Home segment of the Out of the Box podcast. One more part of the show, folks, that's coming up when we get back here on the Season 3 premiere. sinking we're on hour two of our drive to austin <laughs> oh god we, we can uh, listen to this podcast like 10 times on the way we oh, probably yeah. won't do that though last year i said that the premiere was so long it was basically out of the box hyphen the irishman this year <laughs> are we out of the box hyphen avengers endgame <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Thanks to everybody for tuning in, but uh, I, you know, I do hope I hope we're as entertaining as WandaVision has been so far. Hey, we're gonna watch that in Austin. Speaking of things that's gonna happen this weekend, that's, that's that could be that's another podcast that we could do. Hopefully, we'll get to finish it. It won't be a, a college station situation. <laughs> Let's look back at what we've done. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama and what's ahead in 2021. Then we advanced to first, broke down the SEC. Tom, I think a wild year for the conference, but I also think more clear cut than maybe we've seen the last couple seasons, which probably means like Kentucky's going to win it or something. Probably so. Something <laughs> crazy. I agree. I think it's top heavy to a point. I think there's like, as far as who can actually win the entire thing, I think it's down to three or four different teams, but I think almost anybody top to bottom can beat anybody else on a given day, which is what makes the SEC such a fun league to cover on a day and day basis. For sure. We talked about the SEC a lot when we stole second with Amanda Scarborough. Then we rounded third with the great Emily P. Tech in P. Tech's point of view. And now, Tom, it's time to head home with, with one of my personal favorite segments, Landmine or Goldmine. Y'all know the deal if you've listened before. We've each got three bold predictions for the season. There are Landmine or Goldmine. This is based off of a flub speaking-wise that I had, I think, the first or second year we were together. Tom, would you like to go first or second with your landmine or gold mine? I'll, uh, I'll defer. I'll go second. Okay. Well, I've got the Alabama-centric one, and, and this is just what I added in. Again, they can be three landmine or gold mines about anything. I think five wow. Alabama players will hit double-digit homers. Well, I think one thing makes this an interesting landmine or gold mine was the long ball was not part of the repertoire for Alabama through the first month of the season last year. Totally. 10 all year in the shortened 2020 season. That was last by seven home runs to Ole Miss, which hasn't had power like ever. Right. So that was not but ideal. Led by Taylor Clark. It was yeah. our, the leading home run hitter. But I think five Alabama players will hit double digit home runs. I think that there are a couple that are obvious. That's Tim Pill and Dowling. I think now, again, I'm putting a little bit of pressure on Bailey Dowling, but I'm very confident that she's going to be the offensive player we expect coming into the year. And then I wrote down Tal, Jenkins, and Morgan, but you could tell me Clark, Sides, Jenna Johnson, if she fought her way into the starting lineup. Lots of ways that could go, but Abby I think Dorr. bottom line, Abby Dore. I just think bottom line, five Alabama players will hit double-digit home runs. Like it. Uh, my Alabama-centric landmine or goldmine is going to be, I think, Alabama's run of having SEC Freshman of the Year will continue, and I think Bailey Dowling will be the SEC freshman of the year this season. Interesting. I just think Bailey Dowling, you know, you put pressure on her, and, you know, I I put the pressure on Montana Fouts from day one, and she she uh, she rose to the occasion. I think Bailey can do the same. I think she'll be a everyday batter for this team, and 
uh, will have numerous opportunities. I think she'll come through. Here's my second landmine or gold mine. I think the SEC coach of the year will be either Samantha Ricketts or Larissa Anderson. I like both of those teams. We'll get to our SEC predictions in just a moment, but I think one or, or both of those squads could do something really special this year. And I think one of them will be recognized for, for what will be a really good year in either Starkville or Columbia or both. My second one, I'm going to go outside the SEC for it. A little bit about the national, how seating is going to go in the NCAA tournament. And I'm going to say somehow, some way, UCLA will not be the number one seed. Because of non-conference strength of schedule, that's the only thing that comes to mind that could hold them back. I, I, I'm not sure. There's just I just have a feeling in some way, UCLA, they made the number two, they made three, but somebody will impress the committee so much that even with UCLA having a possibly historically great team, they will not be the number one overall seed. I actually don't hate it. I could see a world where Oklahoma is that team because they they're challenging themselves in a non-conference at a time where yeah. that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And they'll have chances to win big conference games against Texas and Oklahoma state. But outside of those two series, not a lot of teams in the big 12 that can beat Oklahoma. So I, uh, I could see Oklahoma being the team that pulls yeah. off your landmine or gold mine. Could be a team from the sec. Here's my last one. You remember last year I said, there's going to be four regulars and four non-regulars at the Women's College World Series. And it kind of looked like we were heading towards that. We were. This year, I think it's going to be a lot more clear cut. I'm looking at the ESPN poll, and I think seven of the eight Women's College World Series teams are in the preseason top 10. Wow. I don't know who it's going to be, but I think at least seven, at least, at least seven. It could be all eight, but I've got UCLA, Washington, Arizona, Oklahoma, LSU, Florida, Texas, Alabama, Louisiana, and Oklahoma State, I will gladly take seven or eight of those 10 to be in the World Series. And, you know, there are a couple other outside contenders. Florida State, of course, is always there. Keely Rochard at Virginia Tech. I mean, she's excellent. It's been a while since uh, since Hutch has been with Michigan. Could see Michigan right. maybe get back with Bobian leading the charge. Oregon will be really good this year. But I think most of, if not all of, the World Series teams are already ranked in the top 10. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get that same type of feeling. I don't know if it's going to be quite that much, but uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it is. My third one might be a little bit just hope and wishful thinking on my part, but that's not unusual uh, for landmine and gold mine. My third one will be, in addition to UCLA not being the number one overall seed, something in, and I don't know what it is yet. Um, I'm still trying to f- figure it out, but something within the seeding, process something so farcical will happen that there will be major changes to the way the committee and the seating is done within the NCAA tournament after the 2021 season I like it I also think it would be fun and and necessary I would love to see us move on from the RPI and go to something like the net that men's and women's basketball has right something you know we need quadrant one and quadrant two victories to come in play it's just it's a this is going to be such a weird season because we talked about like we talked with about amanda as well that you know teams a lot of conferences are going to be playing with different rules as the season goes along and it's a tough job for the committee but i think they're going to bungle it so badly this year that there will be major changes i like it those are our landmines and gold mines we'll uh we'll cover those 
in the on second thought segment about midway through the season. And then we'll see at the end of the year, if they're right. And you have a better track record than I, so we'll see. <laughs> but again, I, I think it was, everything was a wash last year. So yeah, that's true. All right. <laughs> Are you ready to predict the sec Tom? Sure. <laughs> I, I like your enthusiasm partner. All right. Because I went first on Landmine or Goldmine, you're going first this time. We're going 13 to one in the sec. Start us off, Tom. Who's who's in last in your poll who is dead last in the SEC. I, I agree what you said earlier about there being like a bottom three in the conference to go along with the top three. I think it could just come crashing down, and I'm going to put South Carolina at number 13. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Wow. That is not what I was expecting you to say at all. <laughs> you think it could get that bad? Really? I just I don't see the offense. I think, they like I said, they could win a one nothing game every once in a while if O is back to her – Old self, but who knows? We haven't seen her as her old self since 2018. Whew. Tom, I'm not going to lie to you. That was uh, that was a curveball that, that you one really you. just threw me. Wow, <laughs> man, South Carolina hater. Yeah, just saying. Goodness. Okay, I'll go with the more conventional 13 pick, which is Ole Miss. Okay, um, yeah, I got you. I, you know, I think that the schedule is pretty difficult, and I just don't think that the players are there in the circle offensively for Jamie Traxler to really do much in uh, in conference play. So I've got Ole Miss at 13. I'm still, uh, I, I need the medication after what just happened. Go ahead and give your 12. I'm, I'm still uh, rocked uh, over here. I'll put Ole Miss at 12. Okay. Yeah, same reason. Yeah. Be a little more conventional for you. All right. I've got Auburn at 12. I think Samantha Yarbrough will pick off a couple teams here and there. I, I don't think Auburn's going to be bad. I just, again, don't know if they have the weapons to combat and SEC where one, two, and three seem really solid. And then four through 10 are mix and match, but all seemingly a step ahead of Auburn. So yeah. I've got Auburn 12. Okay. I got him at 11. So there you go. See much more traditional. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh man. I've got us A&M at 11. Uh, I'm really interested to see what Brodus does to that pitching staff. Cause Herzog, we know she's good. But Brodus, I mean, she won Mountain West Pitcher of the Year at Boise State. I mean, this is a good right. player. And Craig Snyder's always working on that offense. I wouldn't be shocked if A&M, um, you know, sneaks up about halfway through the SEC standings. I've got them at 11, but I, I think that A&M has the highest ceiling of the bottom three teams that I've got, A&M, Auburn, and Ole Miss. I want to get A&M higher, but I don't know who else falls below them. That's the one part of the issue here, so. I'm going to put A&M 10, and I think they're going to be a little bit better than that standing will indicate. That I think sense. so, too. Let's just say A&M seems like the three seed that you don't want to play in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I could definitely say that. All right, my number 10. It has changed, actually, since the podcast started, but not since your pick. Uh, I had this <laughs> done in the last segment. I've got South Carolina at 10. I, I think you raised good points about the offense uh, and about just trusting – one through nine altogether. Um, yeah. I don't think that Johns is as big of a miss offensively uh, as she is defensively. We'll see what Bev Smith does to replace her. And, you know, again, it kind of goes along the lines of what I said earlier about Grace Ballman and Autumn Humes. At some point, oh, she's got to be healthy before yeah. I say if she is healthy again. I've just got to see her at full strength. And Drotar has never really been a shutdown pitcher. So I think South Carolina could – you know, again, could ascend to five, six, seven in this league, but right now I've got them at 10. My number nine, this might be a little bit of a, a surprise, uh, but I'm going to put Kentucky at number nine. 
again, just trying to find the offense there. And can you really rely on humans and bombing on a, on a weekend and week out basis? Uh, all these teams can beat anybody else on a date on a, any giving Sunday situation, but I just hard, it's hard for me to trust Kentucky consistently. So that's why I'm going to put them that, that far down. Interesting. The enigmas Tom is not <laughs> buying in. No, this is not the year to be an enigma. I need stability. That is so true, partner. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> In so many different ways. Oh, man. You've spoken to me. Oh, boy. Last year, I had this team as my number two. This year, they're my number nine. It's Georgia. Ooh. I, as much as I love Mary Wilson Avant, I think the schedule is just too darn hard. Home series against Missouri, Florida, Arkansas, Alabama. Which one of those are they winning, like, right now? Which, which of those could you say right now they're winning that series? Maybe, maybe Arkansas or Missouri, but I'm not buying it. And then the road series at Ole Miss, at Kentucky, at Tennessee, at Mississippi State. I think it's just too hard. And they lost too much talent. Sierra Bryan being gone is really going to hurt more than I think any other loss in the SEC. So I've got Georgia at number nine. All right. So we're going to number eight now for me. And I think I'm going to have to put Georgia there at eight for me. Um, Again, I, I still stand by what I said earlier about the matchup with Alabama in Athens at the end of the season. I think that's going to be a big one for Alabama just because Georgia is still going to be capable uh, of beating you at any time. And with uh, Mary Wilson, if she's able to, I can see a situation where she goes pitch for pitch with Montana Fouts and on a Friday in Athens. So uh, th- that could be a, a tough one for the Crimson Tide. But that being said, I just think consistently is going to be con- consistency will be an issue for the Bulldogs. So that's why I'm going to put them down at eight. All right. We're continuing our SEC projections for this year. We'll, we'll average these out and make the official out of the box poll since there are a million of them out there. We'll start <laughs> right. ours in there too. Might as well. Yeah. My number eight is Mississippi state. I think they are better than the eighth team in the SEC, but I, I just, I don't know. I don't want to buy in too much. Coach you don't Ricketts want to jinx them. You're just, yeah. This is what you're going to say. Yeah. Well, I also don't want to, you know, I mean, that's a huge jump. This was a team that was playing in the play-in game in the SEC tournament the last time we were doing that. So right. I don't know. To, to go any higher than eight might be might be too much, in my opinion. Uh, but obviously, this team is good. And I think it'll all really come down to how Annie Willis and Emily Williams pitch in conference play because they look darn good in non-conference play. The offense will be there, but can the pitching shut down SEC teams? Number seven, this is going to be the second, I think, make you look at me with your mouth agape uh, pick that I've picked so far. I'm going to put the Tennessee Lady Vols at seven. Maybe not quite as shocking to you as the South Carolina one, but I, and it's going to be weird considering it where I'm going to pick Alabama and you're going to say, well, it's because you cover Alabama and maybe that is, but <laughs> From what I saw in 2020, uh, I know the injuries were an issue, but there seemed like there was maybe something else. There was something else that was just a little bit off. I don't know if they're going to be able to get all that back right away. And the slate that they had to play, it's going to be tough. And uh, I, I, just, I, I feel that it might be a little bit of a, an off year again for the balls at, at number seven. My number seven to, is Kentucky. To be, I say, to be clear, you hate the South Carolina pick. That's okay. That's fine. I, I think South we Carolina. Don't to, we don't yeah. have to agree. That's it. Yeah. It makes it more interesting. I I just hope that people come after you on Twitter (laughs) instead of me for anything I say, because that pick is insane. My number seven team is Kentucky. Again, I I think that, I think that a lot of the polls I'm seeing are just, are just too high on the Wildcats. Coaches Paul is in fifth. That that's just, I, I can't buy that. I mean, they lost their two best players. And again, at this point I'm done 
basing my entire opinion on Grace Ballman and Autumn Humes off of the couple times where they pitch really well and their ceiling is so high and they are at their best, really good pitchers, but they've got those duds in there that all-star pitchers should never have. And if they can eliminate those, Kentucky will go higher. I'm going to need to see it first. So I've got the Wildcats at seven. We love you, Rachel Lawson. We do. At number six, I am going to put the Missouri Tigers. Again, they're a team I think can, I think they're going to have a say in who wins the conference. Uh, just uh, consistently because of the pitching by committee, I think will be the only major issue. I think they're going to have a great mindset. I think they've got great leadership and I think they're going to make a lot of noise. I think their, their team, they're going to be a two, the two seed in the NCAA tournament. You're not going to want to play for sure, but uh, I'm going to put them at number six here in the conference. I like that. I've got a Tennessee at number six. I, I agree mostly with what you said. And uh, I go back to my Ashley Rogers comment. I think it just depends on how quickly she can get back to form. So the lady balls are my number six. And now we get our top fives, Tom. We do have our top five and uh, I am going to go with Mississippi state at five. Whew, Tom. Yes. I'm, I'm buying in to follow law Mia Davidson, just mashing it all the way through. Emily Williams can keep those walks down like she was doing in 2020. They're a team that, that could be kind of a, a breakout type team. Not sure if they're a top 16 breakout type team, but they are going to be in the, in the top 25 as the season ends, I think, nationally. My number five, Tom, I've got Arkansas. Again, I think this is contingent on what we talked about earlier. Is there a solid number two behind Autumn Storms? Is Mary Half fully healthy to be that solid number two? The Arkansas offense is going to just run hot and cold. I think that's just who they are, yeah. but the pitching is the key. And if, if they can put together great weekends and not just great games, they could go even higher than fifth in the SEC. But based on what the schedule looks like and the way I think the league breaks down, I've got Arkansas at five. And I'll put them higher, but I'll go just at number four for those, for those same reasons. All-American Autumn Storm's kind of in that same situation. She's been there forever. This is her last shot. And you think, you know, she's going to give everything she can to, to go out on top. I agree. My number four is Missouri. Wow. I'm in. I'm, All right. I, this is my, uh, this is my, it's similar to your Mississippi State pick. I'm buying in on the offense. Mm-hmm. We'll see what the pitching staff looks like. I think she's able to find somebody who can really be that go-to player on a Friday, Sunday conference series. I think the offense will be good. And, uh, and you know, a lot of their tough series are at home. Again, LSU and Florida coming to Columbia. So I like Missouri in fourth. And, and now we get to our top threes, Tom. Number three, I'm going to go with the Gators of Florida. The only thing that's holding him back is just a – you don't even have to be Kelly Barnhill as, a, as a, an ace because she's, you know, at, at this high level. But I'm not sure if they have – that elite starter, that elite Friday, Sunday type starter. They have a good, they have a good pitching rotation. We'll see if it develops into something great. They got all the hitting they can need. I think they're going to be, it's not going to be something where someone's going to run away with it uh, at the end. But uh, I think Florida, because again, we're asking for some help from Missouri to help us out there with those (laughs) Florida and LSU, but I'm going with the Gators at three. I got the Gators at number three, pretty much all the same reasons. We'll see what the defense looks like without Reynoso and and without Wallace, assuming that she's out for, I would have to guess, at least half the season. I will say if if she is available for a significant part portion of the conference slate, I can see them moving into number two Yeah, very easily. Because they do get uh, LSU in Gainesville. So. Yeah, she'll make a difference if she's available. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got Florida at three. Number two, All Tom. Right. I'm going to go LSU. 
and the main reason that I'm going to go with LSU at number two and Alabama at number one, obviously, is because of the historical late conference slate swoon that LSU has. We don't know if it's been exercised or not because we didn't see it, what, what could happen in 2020. Because I can't trust them in the, at the end of April, I'm going to say LSU at number two. I think roster depth-wise and just roster talent-wise, they may be number one from top to bottom. Uh, but I think Alabama is going to gel together a little bit better. And I'm going to go with Tide at one and LSU at two. I'm, I've got the same thing. I think that you're right on the money. I just, I'm not sure that I am as solid about LSU as I am about Alabama. And I, I don't want that to seem like bias because I really did think about putting LSU number one. But I think my slight trepidation with the pitching staff when it gets really hard, coupled with the late season swoon, makes it really difficult for me to put LSU number one. Yeah. And so again, as I said, that means Alabama comes in at number one. I We've said it so many times since the end of the 2020 season, call it bias because I follow them or not, but I, I really, I really think Alabama is going to be able to just pick up where they left off as things went, were cut off last season at the end of the year. I'm going to simplify it even more. The best batter in this league is Bailey Hemphill. The best pitcher in this league is Montana Fouts. I mean, that's, bing, bing, bong. that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Those are our SEC projections. Uh, we'll tweet those at out of the box underscore pod. We'll also tweet the official podcast poll with everything averaged out. Tom, we've done a lot in this show. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for breaking this up over multiple days. I have to assume many of you have done that. But Which before is fine. we it's go, okay. yeah. Before we go, Tom, it's time for a little off the wall. Oh, yes. I'm going to let you go first this time. I want to hear what you have to say. It seems like you've got a lot. This, a lot of this has to do with just the mindset of the fan. Uh, and we love the fans. And as we've always said, 99.9% are the best, especially at Alabama. We love Alabama fans. We love the passion that is brought uh, to every sport. Starts with football, obviously. Alabama's pretty good at, at, at the big skin. But for some reason, it brings along a fatalism within this is in social media, which is where we get these off the wall segments from, but uh, I even see it in football where, I mean, there was so much during the 2020 season where uh, it took one third down conversion by the opponent. And all of a sudden Pete Golding is an idiot and the defense sucks. And it just, it, there's just nothing you can do about it. Alabama will be lucky to win five games this year because we can't stop anybody. Meanwhile, Alabama didn't allow a touchdown for like four straight games. It, it, I don't understand the fatalism when it comes to that. And it is even more exasperated with men's basketball. Men's basketball right now at Alabama is the best team literally we've had this century. There has not been a team this good at Alabama since the 90s. And I've seen them all. And this, this is as good as it gets. Alabama had a bad game this past Saturday against Missouri. Didn't start well, didn't play well in the middle. It was, it, it did not look good at all. You would have thought we were once again on the bubble. Maybe we can make it as a four seed in the NIT. This is a team that was 10 and 0 in the conference, had defeated LSU by 20 plus points twice. Kentucky, 20 points plus twice. Arkansas by 40. 
this is a team that uh, just was one of the most dominating teams we've seen in, in the nation this year. But reading social media posts as Alabama was losing to a good Missouri team, by on the, the way. road, on the road, it, the game tipped off at like 7 a.m. It, it's, you know, there were so many things going wrong with the way that game was going. The comeback was so awesome that Alabama had. I, I wanted Alabama to win for no other reason than I wanted people to have to delete their accounts after Alabama came back to finish off that comeback. Didn't happen. You got to make your layups. You got to make your free throws. You got to deal with poor officiating. Alabama, you know, they, they put themselves in too big a hole, but my gosh, what a comeback. That's a game that Alabama would have lost by 40 almost any other year. And they came back and almost won that game against Missouri. I fully expect them to continue to win here this week. Uh, they got a tough game against South Carolina coming up as we record this. But my gosh, people, enjoy having a good basketball team. <laughs> I don't understand why why the why just the the hatred and, and the banging of your head against the wall. It's a it, it's, it's a sport like softball. You play a lot of games. You're not going to be just sharp and crisp every single time let's not act like we're on the bubble now because we lost one game at a 10 game winning streak snapped let's calm down people enjoy the ride who thought alabama was going to be like the the far and away best team in the conference when the season started nobody nobody enjoy it all i'm saying that's good stuff partner thank you thank you Um, i needed i needed that i feel better better. that's why we have this podcast literally All right, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be quick about mine. I would just like to to preach patience to everybody uh, in this off the wall. We're in a weird year. We found out today as we record on this Monday that we can travel to Austin, and we're leaving in three days. Timing means nothing. So all that's not you, a short trip, by the way. No, I don't know if anybody's noticed. All of you folks out there, I, I see them. I, I I do. I see the comments. Where's the TV schedule? What time is this game? When is this happening? And y'all just have to understand there's a lot more at play here than just softball because here's what else is happening right now. Men's and women's basketball. Soccer is about to start. Volleyball is currently very much going. And of course, you add in the regular spring sports, gymnastics, tail end, and the beginning of baseball. That is all stuff that will be on SEC campuses that will have to be broadcast by these control rooms at these schools where you've got not a ton of studios. So I just want to let everybody know that you will be able to watch every home game at Alabama in some capacity, whether that is a full TV broadcast with me and Sydney little John Watkins or a camera with our radio feed going through it. You can watch in some capacity, every game at Rhodes. radio will be at every game this year. If you can't find a way to watch it, you can always, always listen and just be patient for these times. They will come, but the people at ESPN, Mega Ronowitz, all these folks are having to juggle a lot of plates right now, more than they've ever had to ever. And uh, I think we just need to give them, give them time to sort everything out. I mean, it's not going to happen tomorrow, probably. That'd be hilarious if it did after this rant, but I just think we have to be patient, wait for it to come. No one's hiding it from you. We will let you know when everything can be watched and Alabama fans, you can watch every SEC game and every game at Rhodes in some capacity. And you can definitely listen to every game this season. Yeah. Just think about how the players have had to be flexible as, as everything has gone on here 
uh, in the 2021 season. Now, you know, they have to be ready for anything. You have to be able to pivot and change on a dime. You got to be that same way if you're a fan. Uh, if you are as locked in and want to follow every single game Alabama is playing, follow the social medias. Know that, you know, games, times can change, that, you know, different. It can be put on as ESPNU. It can be put on the plus very easily, even though it may have been promoted for the week before that it was going to be on a different channel. Just know that things can change. Follow the social medias. Be flexible. And know that Alabama is not trying to keep you from watching the games. Alabama is wants to be on TV as much as possible. Is Longhorn Network the most convenient thing in the world? No, we no, it's not. But we're living in a world where Alabama, Colorado State at 1030 in the morning on a Friday is being streamed somewhere. You can watch it. That world did not exist three years ago. Yeah, that's off the wall. Tom, we got it. We got to end this. What a premiere. We've got so much coming up this year. We've got once a week shows dropping every Tuesday. We're going to try on the road if possible. We'll see how things look later on. We don't know what Athens will be like in, in no. April and May. Who, who knows? Uh, but Hopefully people are getting their shots and working and we can yeah. do stuff normal. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming people. There will, there will be times and we'll discuss that as the season moves on. We've also still got gear koozies, shirts all being given away at games for the 30 percent that'll be there we've got farcical stickers so uh make sure you you grab those and and we're on the air this weekend tom where can uh where can the people hear us you can hear us on 93.3 fm the praise here in tuscaloosa and we understand outside of tuscaloosa it's not the strongest signal but if you uh go to your app store on your smartphone they have a app that is only for 93.3 FM, the praise. So you can download that right to your smartphone and you can stream us uh, whenever we're on. Follow us every single game. And there will be a link also to the live stream on a computer on rolltide.com. Pretty easy, pretty manageable. Just use the Google yeah. machine and yeah, the rolltide.com link also very helpful. And we will tweet out the links as well, Tom. Where can the Absolutely. people find you? Uh, you can find me at T Canterbury RTR on the twitter we have a lot of fun i i'm finding more and more gifs so those are fun or gifs as some people call them i'm at gray g-r-a-y underscore robertson i'm, I'm going to tweet the links our buddy chicago gump i think will have a pairing of the radio and audio feed and uh, and the, the video as well the gopro is charging as we speak yes um hopefully by thursday it's finally at 100 percent. we found it <laughs> and we're just excited to be back on the air i, I think that we both recognize that what we do with this podcast and and this broadcast with the Crimson Tide Sports Network is is not guaranteed, um, and things will change this year. But by gosh, we're we're extremely thankful and grateful to have the chance to be back together for the first time since early March, late yeah. February. I mean, we're living the dream. Absolutely, and shout out to everybody at the Crimson Tide Sports Network for you know doing everything they could to get us on the air this year. Jim Carabin. Um, everybody involved with Learfield and then everybody at the University of Alabama, Jeff Puritan, Jessica Pare, and, and Nathan Sheehan and uh, everybody that has worked to, you know, have us have us be there. And, and uh, uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we as you said, we don't take it for granted, especially after what happened last year. So we are we are ready to roll. Yes, we are. And 
We hope that this podcast episode, lengthy as it was, got you fired up and ready for 2021. Thank you to our guests, Amanda Scarborough and Emily Pitek. They'll both be back at some point this year. That's it for the season three premiere. Thank you so much for tuning in to Out of the Box. We're excited to share the next few months of this crazy season with all of you out there. Tom, it's going to be a fun ride. Hopefully way more fun than 2020 in, in about every imaginable way. And I'm, I'm ready to buckle in. Let's, let's hit it. Alrighty, it's going to be fun, folks. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. I mean, stick around. It's going to be a fun year. You will not want to miss what happens for Alabama, for college softball, and in season three of Out of the Box. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.